Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by sports attorney Dan Lost as we will get his perspective on the Deshaun Watson investigation and break that down from the legal aspect. Also, Coach Bo's going to join us later on for Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. And he will provide us the football perspective on Deshaun Watson. So we'll have both angles covered and also get to the rest of the top football headlines when Coach Bo joins us coming up later on in the show. Plus, we'll have our draft segment this week. We will draft TV shows you used to watch. And we'll end the show with our Tom Fulgery story of the week as well. And we will begin today talking about the Big 12 Conference and its realignment situation in just a moment. But glad to be back after a couple weeks off from the show as I was in Phoenix for uh, several days working a gig for ESPN Plus, uh, making my debut with uh, ESPN. So that was a lot of fun, a lot lot to do, great time there and meeting up with several people I knew out there and and uh, I got to tell you, you know, it's a different animal when you do something on ESPN and, uh, you know, putting on that headset and being in front of an audience like that. Uh, not going to lie, that was pretty cool working at uh, that event. Big thanks to uh, Navi Nation for having me for their championship for the uh, second straight year out there and, and uh, our entire crew uh, for putting that broadcast on those few days. Uh, it was great. So, uh, that's where I was at a couple weeks ago. Also, uh, you know, made the complete move to Dallas officially. And so, uh, been very busy the uh, last couple of weeks, but glad to be back as we shift gears now and head towards, uh, the gauntlet that is football season, the hall of fame game tonight. And this feels like kind of the beginning of the end of summer and the countdown to kickoff of sorts with it already here with this Hall of Fame game tonight, and then, uh, what do you know, we'll be here uh, Labor Day weekend with the start of college football, and then the weekend after that with the beginning of the NFL season. So it is all quickly approaching very fast, but nonetheless, uh, we're going to be all over it here on the Jonesport the next couple weeks, counting you down to kickoff uh, when it comes to college football and the NFL. This is the time of year we really shift gears and go hard. We're football-heavy, football-focused on uh, this show from here on out till the end of February with the Super Bowl. So we uh, look forward to that, and we'll have you covered here on the uh, Jones Report this week. But uh, Deshaun Watson, as I mentioned, we will cover that in uh, detail on today's show with a couple different angles. And uh, I, I want to tell you kind of kind of my take, kind of lay the groundwork before we let you hear from some of these experts on the show today. Um, but f- from my uh, opinion of the way that this has gone down, of the six-game suspension, I feel like most people would agree with me, the vast, vast majority, that the six-game suspension was uh, embarrassing for the NFL, that it was shameful that they only gave Deshaun Watson uh, you know, a six-game suspension. The judge, Sue Robinson, did what she did. And, you know, I look at this situation with Deshaun Watson that, you know, here's the thing, okay? I understand that we have a legal process in this country and that 
you know, we, we, we do things for a reason, right? When we go through these situations, um, you know, that everyone has the right to prove themselves innocent till proven guilty. And, you know, Deshaun Watson has already gone through, you know, the court of law and that they, you know, cleared him there of federal charges in, in that situation. I understand all of that. Okay. But, um, just because you haven't been charged legally does not mean that nothing happened. And look, when it comes to just pure numbers, okay, just breaking this down as simply as possible, 24 women are not all lying, okay? Now, I'll say this. You know, we talked to Amber Theo Harris about this a while back, Um you know, Amber's brought up a good point that, you know, if this roles were reversed, um, you know, I don't think there would be any doubt from the public eye, uh, you know, on the other end, if if this was a, 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 you know, if there was all these men accusers of sorts, um, that this is a situation where some folks want to go out of their way to believe Deshaun Watson because he is an NFL quarterback. And if you're a Browns fan, he's the now face of your franchise. He is the guy that is going to represent you for a very long time here, um, potentially. And so with, with all that being said, the six games that was handed down to Deshaun Watson was ridiculous. I understand that this is a new process for Judge Sue Robinson that, um, you know, they didn't really have a baseline to go off of uh, for these type of situations. I understand all that. That was it, it was a unique circumstance. No one is denying that. But the truth of the matter is, Deshaun Watson, the judge, Sue Robinson, said that the NFL presented enough evidence to say that he sexually assaulted women. Now, when I hear her say that it wasn't not, that it wasn't violent, that it was nonviolent, that to me, I'm like, how, how can you declare something sexual assault and say it's not violent? Um, that doesn't add up. All sexual assault is violent. Okay, and so with that being said despite what the legal system may have said, the fact that Judge Sue Robinson can sit up there and say, yes, to Sean Watson, the evidence is there that he sexually assaulted women, and say that, ah, six games, is absurd to me. You have the evidence there. You have made that case. You've made it known. You even put in the suspension that he cannot have massage therapists outside the Cleveland Browns organization. If you've gone to that extent, you have the evidence right there. And so, for me, the fact that you can have Deshaun Watson, when you have evidence that he sexually assaulted women and say, yeah, six games, it blows my mind. And it should have been much, much more. I don't know what the right number is. Whether that's a season, whether that's two seasons, whether that's a lifetime ban, I don't know. But I can tell you six games is not su sufficient by any stretch of the imagination. Not at all. 
six games should have been acceptable. And now with Goodell in the NFL appealing, I mean, I think it is fair to say they are undermining their own system that they've established and they've created here. That's very true. Um, but with that said, the, the NFL, I don't think, had a choice. The system they set up did not work. It did not do its job. And now they're saying, well, let's try to fix this error that we've created here. So how this plays out, I don't know. Um, you know, if Deshaun doesn't like the second punishment that's handed down, then I think I would guarantee this thing's going to federal court at some point. Um you know, we, I'll say this. My one prediction, we will see Deshaun Watson play at some point this year for the Cleveland Browns. Whether it's a six-game suspension and then he plays after that or the league bumps it up to eight or ten games and he plays after that. Um, if he goes to federal court, this is going to be a long time. And we could see him play the entire year. But at some point this year, like it or not, the Cleveland Browns are going to tout out uh, Deshaun Watson as the face of their franchise, going to put billboards with his face on it, sell jerseys and all that for someone that the NFL has proven has committed sexual assault on multiple women. So that's the reality here. Um. And I'm disappointed. I'm sure you all are as well. But we'll continue to follow the story. And I'm very intrigued to uh, talk to Bo and talk to Dan Lost about it, get their perspectives both on the legal aspect and the uh, football aspect as well. We're going to cover it both ends. So fascinating discussion when uh, we talk to Dan coming up later on and then when we talk to Coach Bo in the football fix presented by O'Connor Advisors Group later on as well. The Big 12 Conference Man, it's been an interesting couple of weeks ever since the news that USC and uh, UCLA were leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten. And I find it so funny to see the uh, Pac-12 commissioner, George uh, Kilikoff, has made the Big 12 his enemy. And, you know, claims that Big 12 presidents are tampering with the Pac-12 and has been so butthurt with the Big 12 going fully on for these Pac-12 schools. And on top of that, too, the fact that we're seeing the, uh, the Pac-12 act this way, and I haven't seen this at all from the Pac-12 when... The Big Ten took USC and UCLA, and when the Big Ten, you know, broke up the alliance that was established, um, that to me, it, it, there's so much irony here. You didn't really have a big problem, it seemed, at least publicly, about USC and UCLA leaving, but the fact that the Big 12 is in pursuit of some of your teams, now you get defensive about it? Okay, hmm. Um... Here's the thing. Two things can be true at once. Okay? Here's here's what I mean. 
you can sit here and say that the current situation of Pac-12 schools, or in this case, Pac-10, whatever you want to call it, that those schools are better off than the new Big 12. You can say that. And, and here's what I mean by that. No one in the new Big 12 is going to be attractive enough for the Big 10 or the SEC, at least for now anyway, unless major expansion of those conferences go down the line. But they are not at the priority list. Oregon and Washington um, are on the priority list. And so there are more valuable assets in the current Pac-12 now. And although Big 12 football, as of late, of the new members, has been better than the Pac-12, historically speaking, in the, even in the playoff era, the new Pac-12 has more playoff appearances than the Big 12 does. Big 12 only has one with new incoming member Cincinnati, and the Pac-12 has a couple with Oregon and Washington, including a title game appearance with Oregon. So, yes, all of that can be true. And still, you can say the Big 12's future is better. And here's why that is, okay? There is more potential for this Big 12 than there is the Pac-12. Because the flexibility of the Big 12 is in three time zones now, and you add in possibly some Pac-12 schools, you could be the only conference in all four time zones and have every window available. You know, I, I keep hearing from Stuart Mandel from the Unathletic talk about this situation of how valuable Pac-12 After Dark is uh, for ESPN at that time window and what it brings to the table. Well, sure, it brings that to them for now. But, I mean, the Big Ten's about to have, you know, late-night games, and the Big 12's going to have late-night games with BYU, and if they add more members, they could have late-night games too. I mean, so it's not like that the Pac-12 is going to be the only ones in town that offer that anymore, quite frankly. And on top of that too... Okay, Let, let's say for all intents and purposes, Oregon and Washington, and, and maybe even Cal and Stanford too, but Oregon and Washington, if they get that invite that they desire from the Big Ten, and you're left with pack, uh, you know, a Pac-8 conference, and you know, you're filling it, filling the gaps with Mountain West teams like San Diego State and Boise State and, um, you know, UNLV or Nevada, whatever it may be. And you're basically just Mountain West Plus, okay? That's the real comparison here, really. Um, when you talk about the future of these leagues is without Oregon and Washington, Okay. If Oregon and Washington leave, then, I mean, the Big 12 is throwing out a lifeboat, essentially, for some of those Pac-12 schools. Then the Big 12 is the last resort for those Pac-12 schools of being in a power conference. If Oregon and Washington leave, 
That's sayonara. That's good night for the Pac-12 as we know it. They lose power conference status. That's what this comes down to. So here's, here's what I say all this to say. If you are Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado, the four teams that have been interested in the Big 12 that have been talked about over the last several weeks, the question that you have to ask yourself is, do we believe Oregon and Washington are staying? And if they are, okay. Then then you can argue that, yes, the Pac-12 could be a better option than the current Big 12 um, if things remain the same. But if they are not, then you got to go. you got to get off that sinking ship. Um, and if you believe that Oregon and Washington are going, why wait? Why not go ahead and jump on that life preserver now while you, while you can and get out while the, while the going's good? And we've heard some interesting reports over these uh, last couple weeks that Arizona would be ready to join the Big 12 tomorrow, but they're looking for a running mate of sorts. We've heard from, uh, you know, an unnamed Utah administrator that <clears throat> doesn't see much added benefit of the Big 12 compared to the current Pac-12. And, you know, he's, he's not wrong about that. It's if Oregon and Washington leave that there's a significant gap there. Um, I, you don't need to stay around. If Oregon and Washington leave, there is no reason for those schools to stay. No reason. Just go ahead and come on to the to the Big Twelve. I understand that the dollars uh, are comparable of the conferences as they are now, but if an Oregon and Washington leave, just go ahead and head on out and come to the Big Twelve and save yourselves while you can. That's where I look at this situation um, of ultimately how this all plays out and where things go from here. It's it, the the next dominoes to fall in conference realignment are Oregon, Washington. And Notre Dame. And Notre Dame really the first domino to fall. But that's kind of the waiting game of where we stand with everything right now. And then the TV negotiation thing, that's another fascinating point. Um, apparently ESPN has lowballed the Pac-12 in their Tier 1 offer in this exclusive negotiating window. And Fox Sports is not even negotiating at all. And the Pac-12 is going to take this to market to see what... Amazon and Apple and others potentially could come up with. Um, and that's a little risky because apparently ESPN um, might not be interested in, at all after they go to market with it. And that there's a hope that the that CBS is looking for a stopgap conference of sorts with losing the uh, rights to the SEC, uh, you know, to ESPN in a couple of years. And... Um, there is one belief out there that because the Pac-12 rights are up before the Big 12 grant rights are, that that could give them advantage because they could get a deal done sooner. I disagree there because I think the Big 12 can look at that situation, the Pac-12's in, and they have more time to figure it out. That they can run their data and their analytics and they can say, look, you come here as opposed to here, we're going to offer you this. And, 
you get something done that way. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the kingmakers are the TV networks. I mean, the Big Ten, you can call the Fox Conference. The SEC, you can call the ESPN Conference. And, you know, over these next couple of weeks, I think these schools are going to figure out, talking to their TV partners, where they need to go. And if I had my crystal ball on it, how ultimately this all plays out, at the end of the day, I think Notre Dame in all likelihood ends up in the Big Ten. And I think Oregon and Washington join them. And then maybe Stanford as well. And then the four corner schools in the Pac-12, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State end up in the Big 12, and the Pac-12 ceases to exist as we know it, that it becomes, you know, a better version of the Mountain West. That's my predictions at this point in time. How confident in that am I? Ah, not very confident. You know, I mean, <laughs> conference realignment is so wild, and 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 I, I'm sure you guys are kind of feeling the same way. I'm like, all right, let's just get to it already. I mean... Can we get to the point where we know what the answer is to the end of the story and have this figured out already? Um, that's where I'm at with realignment, but we'll see. We'll see how it ultimately all plays out, but that's where I'm at. Another report out of uh, St. Paul, their uh, newspaper up there, St. Paul, Minnesota, was that the Big 12 has quietly talked to the Minnesota Golden Gophers about joining its league. Um, this one was out of left field, and to me, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, you know, Minnesota, their athletic programs have not been great. They have a brand new uh, football stadium, which is really nice, and um, you know, good facilities, and you know, they're in a major market, you know, major metropolitan and such. Minnesota is, uh, you know, very fine school. Uh, by any stretch, but, you know, right now, everyone's goal is to get one of those spots in the Big Ten and in the SEC. That's where the bunny is, okay, is in those two schools. And if you're anybody, if you're in one of the other conferences, in the ACC, Big 12, or the Pac-12, in the SEC and the Big Ten come calling you, you pick up that phone and you say, I'm on my way. I'll be there in five minutes, essentially. Okay, if you get a school offer from one of those conferences. Minnesota, um, why would you walk away from $100 million from the Big Ten? Okay, I have no idea where this report came from. I know that the Big 12 has said they're open for business. And I wonder how much truth there is to that report, in all honesty. But it just doesn't make financial sense. I mean, the Big 12 is looking at what? Maybe 50 to $60 million per school in all of their rights money. When the Big Ten's looking at you know, $100 plus million, maybe even more. Um, you know that you could get half as much maybe in the Big Twelve compared to what the Big Ten demands. So, and to me, that just doesn't make sense from a financial standpoint. On top of Minnesota has no connections with the current Big Twelve. Not only 
does the Big Ten uh, have a lot more money than the Pac- than the Big Twelve has to offer? But also, its members have history with Minnesota. All the rivals, Michigan, Wisconsin, all of that, are in the Big Ten. So, you know, I, I applaud that the Big Twelve is swinging for the fences. That they're they're trying stuff. Um, you know, whether it's going hard at these Pac-12 schools or apparently reaching out to Minnesota and all this. But, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense for Minnesota why they would leave and, and go to the Big 12. Uh, that one just does not add up to me. Uh, Minnesota, uh, it'd be interesting to see, but I, I, I just don't see that happening, uh, that working out on that end of the uh, Golden Gophers coming to the Big 12. But nonetheless, uh, the Big 12 Conference as it stands, you know, with its its members, um, I think it's a, a good group, but they're still looking for that kick, looking for another push of sorts. The, the new Big 12 as we know it is a lot of leftovers, and then a lot of potential, right? The new Big 12 is banking on that Cincinnati continues what it has started as a power program, you know, getting to the playoff this year and everything they did with that, that they build off of that and that Luke Fickle sticks around, and that Houston, with all the money that they have, that they become kind of like, what Texas is, and there's been a belief among many people that Houston is a sleeping giant of some sorts. The Big 12 is banking on that. UCF, you know, they've been really good in football over the last few years, and they have the second largest enrollment of any school in the country. Um, they haven't even been playing football that long either at that school, and they've taken ginormous steps as a university over the last decade plus. The Big 12's banking on them taking another step. And in BYU's case, they've been a powerhouse for a long time, but there's still room for growth for them. And so what this new Big 12 is right now is the leftovers, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State, Kansas State, whatever, some good programs, and then schools with potential. And you're hoping those schools... You're banking on them reaching their potential. You're not bringing in established brands. Um, In this new Big 12, you do not have a single top 10 program. And I think they're looking for that spark, something that can give them that edge of some sorts, something that stands out. You go get those Pac-12 schools, then you're the only conference in the country that offers football in all four time zones. There's your, there's your spark of sorts, right, that you're looking for. Minnesota, although it seems like a reach, um, playing games up north, adding the Minneapolis market, that would be a spark. So, you know, it, it's not for a lack of effort, not for a lack of trying. Um, you know, I'll say this, Brett Yormark, the new Big 12 commissioner who's been on the job literally for just a couple of weeks. Um, No deals are done yet, but 
so far what we've seen from him, he is doing the exact opposite about Bob Bowlesby and Dan Beebe and the Big 12 commissioners that preceded him. He's being proactive. He's not being reactionary. He's being proactive. And they're trying to do what they can to make of it in this situation right now. And what if we complained about the Big 12 for the last decade plus that this conference does not act uh, you know, proactive? They've always been reactionary. And now they're being proactive. I mean, making cold calls to Minnesota, you know, these, these Pac-12 schools, for them to say, no, we're not interested in the merger or out. Um, you know, go at them. Be aggressive about it. Take no prisoners. Um, and, and have no mercy. Go get the schools you want that you can and build the best product possible. And I applaud Brett Yormack for doing what he's doing and uh, pushing this thing in the right direction. Um, that's where I stand right now. I feel good, but I'll feel even better when something actually gets done. Let's see what happens there. But conference realignment, very fascinating at this point to see how it all plays out. And then especially during football season, too, as teams are reporting to camps and when the season begins and everything in between – um, it's only going to get more interesting from here. Um, and then seeing the reaction of fan bases, uh, you know, when you go on the road and all that stuff, it's, uh, we're in for a treat folks. So buckle up <laughs> as they say, coming up next, uh, Dan lost is going to join us. We will get Dan's thoughts on Deshaun Watson, get the legal perspective, what this means for Deshaun Watson, the Cleveland Browns, and the NFL. Also, talking to Coach Bo Brian O'Connor with his football analysis on this situation and the football fix. We'll dive into everything going on in the National Football League. Also talk some college football and uh, NIL stuff as well. And then uh, later on, we'll have our uh, draft this week, drafting the TV shows you used to watch as well as our Tom Fulry story of the week as well. All that and more as we continue. Stay with us. Dan Loss joins us next here on the Jones Report. Joining us now the Jones Report this week, he's been a very busy man these days. It is Dan Loss, who you can follow him. Check out the uh, Conduct Detrimental podcast. He is also a... Uh, New York Law School professor and a sports attorney that you can hear all over the country. And he's been covering this Deshaun Watson situation inside and out. Dan, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man. Uh, I mean, this situation keeps on taking different turns. Where do we stand right now? So um, if you were to ask me on Sunday uh, if the NFL was going to appeal this, I would think so, right? So if we're going through the chronology, anyone that's not following, the NFLPA put out this cryptic tweet, or I guess statement that they tweeted out, and they said, we are not planning to appeal the, the upcoming suspension of Deshaun Watson, whatever it is. So your uh, spider sense should be going off that the NFLPA knew something. They knew that the suspension was going to probably be positive for one of their players, Deshaun Watson. So fast forward, obviously, a six-game suspension comes out. Reports are that in, in terms of settlement talks, Watson was asking to see if the NFL would agree to a six- to eight-game suspension without having to go through the mechanisms of an arbiter and a formal decision. And the NFL wanted something like 12 games. So 
in a sense, right, the NFL wins the case because the judge finds that uh, in all four instances that the NFL presented, only four women of 24 were presented. Um, the NFL proved by a preponderance of the evidence, which is a fancy way of saying like 51%, more likely than not, that at least four counts of sexual assault occurred. So if we take a hard stop there, Tyler, I might be in a situation telling you, hey, four counts of sexual assault, here's an unprecedented punishment, one year is ready to come. That's not what we got. We got a six game suspension, which is very much in line with suspensions of guys like Roethlisberger and Zeke. So the judge, you know, I think wanted to lay down the hammer, but I think she was afraid of getting appealed by Deshaun Watson. Now the problem, Tyler, we walked into a scenario where the NFL has now today announced that they are going to appeal this to uh, themselves, to uh, Roger Goodell or whoever Roger Goodell appoints as presiding over the appeal. So um, that's the next step here. This is going to go literally to a, the kangaroo court that is the NFL. The NFL is appealing to themselves. Uh, and then if Watson's unhappy with whatever suspension that is, he will take the case to federal court. Um, but that's it. You know, it's a setting up for a, a long battle, but at least the path seems fairly clear at this point. So you say long battle. Realistically, what are we talking about timetable-wise? If it goes to federal court, this could be a, a while, right? I mean, how, do you, how long do you think it takes for this to ultimately get played out? How much in the weeds do you want to get here, Tyler? I can, I can go in the weeds with you. <laughs> yeah, tell me. You ready? Okay, so here's the thing. Got to look back. Lawyers, what we do, it's a fancy term, but what we do is we look back towards past precedent. That's uh, previous cases that are similar, and we try to figure out and forecast the future. So let's look back to Tom Brady, who people will remember had this whole Deflategate saga. He was suspended by the NFL, but then he took the case to federal court. And while the case was pending at federal court, where there's this fancy thing called a temporary restraining order, that actual suspension was um, uh, was prevented from being affected by the, the, the federal court. So even though Brady was suspended, they lifted the suspension while the federal court was playing out. So there's a world where Watson, right? Everyone's saying he got a six game suspension. He's going to be out until week seven. If he appeals this thing to federal court, he can play during the pendency of that federal court case. Uh, so for Brady, that case took over a year. So could it take that long for Deshaun Watson? It could. Um, so, I mean, that's, I can go further down the weeds. I can go very much down this legal rabbit hole, but this thing could take a while. And, and I will tell you, Watson has sent up the signals that he's going to take this thing to federal court if he's suspended for a year. If Roger Goodell ups that suspension from six games to a full season, Watson has told reporters it's leaked out that he's prepared to take it to federal court. So there was a version if the NFL didn't appeal this. I don't, case is over, six game suspension, Watson's back week seven. Now we're kind of in flux. It, the suspension will start. Uh, you know, if he doesn't appeal it to the federal court, but we'll see. It's it's at least at this stage right now, it's the Roger Goodell show, whoever he points as the judge or if he wants to appoint himself. And then the next phase, if we do get there, is a potential appeal to a real court to outside of kangaroo court with real judges that are not employed by the NFL, which I, I think would make a lot of sense. Now, of this system, this is the first time that we have seen the NFL go about this process of using uh, you know, former uh, Judge uh, you know, Sue Robinson to go about you know, this case and you know, handing down her punishment, and then now they appeal. Aren't they objecting to the own process that they set up here, this, this system that they've put together? I mean, doesn't this put any doubt going forward in, in these type of situations that come up that if the NFL is not happy, fine, they're just going to settle it themselves here. I mean, what's the point at that point, right? You're hundred percent right. Uh, and that was one of the factors I was saying might weigh in favor of the NFL, not taking the appeal, but 
they didn't heed my warning. They, they wanted to test it out. Um, so what we kind of have to remember here, right? Like this, this is a new process, right? And the NFL uh, and the NFLPA collectively bargained for this at the 2020 uh, when the CBA came out and they wanted this impartial arbiter, right? The problem is Goodell couldn't get out of his own way because not only do we have the impartial arbiter, Goodell is still waiting on the sidelines to serve as that intermediate level of appeal before you get to the federal court. So, yeah, I mean, you added you added additional step, but you're still left with Roger Goodell on the sidelines. So, yeah, the, the new system doesn't really look that different than the old system, especially, I will say, let's say there's a six-game suspension, right? Um, and Goodell ups that suspension to 12 games. He, he finds a number in the middle of what was actually issued versus what the NFL wanted. They wanted a year or there was even talk of an indefinite suspension. We'll see what the NFL's appeal papers say, but there are reports now that the NFL is looking for a one-year suspension. So if you compromise between what the NFL originally wanted and what the judge decided, yeah, I could see there was some merit to the system, but if the NFL is going to just completely do what they were trying to get in the first place, a one-year suspension, there literally was no point to having Judge Robinson here. So I have a theory, Dan. I'm very curious what you think about this. Um, you know, we saw over the years in these cases where Roger Goodell and company, I think, may have regretted after the fact with the public backlash of the suspensions that were pretty light. You mentioned Ray Rice. That was one in particular where everybody uh, said that should have been longer than what they, they gave. I, I have an idea that this, the way it, this is set up, going through this process, they're letting Sue Robinson kind of be the bad guy of sorts, see how public opinion reacts to it, and then trying to correct the record of some sorts. Is that how you see this situation being? I, I don't know if they did it on purpose, but that might be working out to what it is, right? If an impartial judge says, I, and, and let, let's, let's get into the weeds here of this decision, really what the impact of this would be. There's a six-game suspension issued, but it, I pointed it out. We could do some rough math here. The judge found that four sexual assault accounts occurred under the NFL's definition. So. I, you know, I'm happy to say it. I just, it, it is what it is, right? You have four counts of sexual assault, six game suspension. And in my math, that's a game and a half per sexual assault account, right? Which I think is woefully insignificant. If you, right. if, if the judge found that sexual assault occurred and you only give a year and a half, right? I'm not sure what precedent you're following. So it's almost as if the judge collectively viewed these four accounts and said, you know what? I'm going to view that similar to Roethlisberger, uh, to Zeke and guys that got six games, right? Um, I don't agree with that logic. If, if it's another thing, if she didn't find that sexual assault occurred, then give them zero games, right? That's a totally different story. But what the NFL, I think, is going to come out here looking, you know, I think the, the sentiment is that Robinson, because she found that sexual assault occurred, was light on the punishment. You can't view a guy like Zeke, who got six games, and take Watson, who has four different allegations, and give them the same punishment. That, to me, doesn't make sense, right? I don't. Maybe it's too lazy to multiply it out by four, but I, I just don't think it makes sense to give what, what Zeke got if you found that the offenses occurred. So what the NFL could really look like here is, you know, being uh, maybe overly, um, uh, I don't know, protective of, of women's rights groups, maybe overly, maybe correctly so, but they're going to supersede the judge's decision here and intentionally kind of triple the punishment. So the NFL might come off as looking good here to some groups, especially some of these, you know, these centers over in Cleveland that are really, voicing concern with Robinson's uh, findings here. So the NFL might come out looking good. I doubt it was their plan all along. I, I think they would have just liked to have won at that initial level and not have had to appeal this and put this in the past. I think that good, I think that the NFL and Watson are aligned on one thing. They want this thing over with. Nobody wants to see this thing continue. And if the NFL would have won, you know, we don't have to deal with this anymore. So they're going to end up maybe actually looking good 
in, in the eyes of some because they are going to be harsher than even an impartial judge was on this. Right, right. We're joined by Dan Lost uh, right now, sports attorney at law, talking about the, the Sean Watson situation where things stand right now and going forward. So with Deshaun Watson, here's one thing I wonder, and I know we're talking about hypotheticals here, but if he does appeal the NFL's decision and things go to a federal judge, in his case, is that going to potentially open him up to more things? Is that potentially going to hurt uh, his criminal case of some sort? Or what does that do for that situation? Is there any effect there at all? Could he uh, have more information come out per se than uh, than what we knew otherwise by getting the feds back involved. He's going to be putting more attention on the case. And, and the part that you and I have not discussed here, right? At a certain point in time over the life of this case, which has now been going on for a year and a half, 24 civil lawsuits were filed against Deshaun Watson. As of today, 23 of those 24 were settled for some undisclosed monetary amount. Uh, I have more on that in a second, but just remember there's a monetary amount involved here. The Houston Texans were brought into this lawsuit. The lawyer for these uh, various accusers has uh, alleged that the Houston Texans helped facilitate these acts. It's a, so it's a fancy term in Texas called civil conspiracy, that essentially the Texans were working with Watson to try to be unintentionally or indirectly helping him facilitate these things, right? That, that the Texans, I guess, uh, according to a New York Times report, knew that Watson was doing this, these acts. And instead of telling him to stop, they gave him a non-disclosure agreement to give to these various masseuses. So... Put, put that over here for a second, right? The Houston Texans settled, Tyler, with 30 women. So 24 lawsuits were filed. The Texans settled up all of their cases with 30 women. So that tells you that six more women could potentially file suit. Separately, that New York Times report noted that Deshaun Watson received 66 massages from different women in a 17-month period. So now we're doing our math here, right? Six women settled with the Texans but didn't file lawsuits. 66 women receives massages from Deshaun Watson. You asked this question, right? If you appeal this to federal court, what bag of worms could this open up? More attention to the case. Those other 36 women that we that are not accounted for in terms of that initial settlement with Deshaun Watson, they might want to come to the table, right? They might see, hey, Deshaun Watson, right? He's, he's airing all of his dirty laundry. He's admitting to this and this. Maybe I have a lawsuit here. Maybe I can get an easy payday. Watson seems to want to pay to make all of these go away. And, you know, alleged sexual assault, these allegations, I've read every single complaint, they come in all shapes and sizes. Some I think are more egregious than others. Yet, Tyler, all of them were settled. So I think that's the fear if you're Deshaun Watson, that you're constantly looking over your shoulder at when is this saga going to end? The more publicity to it, the more cases that could come forward. Um, so that would be the fear of this, right? That you continue to uh, you know, be in the public limelight. And uh, you know, Judge Robinson was clear in her decision that Watson has not showed any remorse for his acts. You continue to kind of act brazenly like that in the public, in the public sphere. I think you could reasonably be concerned that more lawsuits will follow. But if you show, you know, again, some remorse, the judge did find that sexual assault occurred. Um, you know, I, I think that might be inclined to, uh, you know, ease your concerns that maybe more litigation may or may not follow. Maybe that's out of his control. But the longer this goes on and the longer there are people like you and me talking about this on a national level, the more I, I'd be worrisome if I'm the Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Browns fans or Deshaun Watson, this is going to continue and continue. Now, you, you mentioned the idea of more cases. That, to me, is a very interesting point, too, in the fact that, okay, the NFL looked at, what, five cases here out of 24 possibly. If the NFL gets more evidence down the line of some of these other cases or these other ones that have opened up, would that 
start another investigation or could they just, or would they like add on to what's already going on here? Where does all that stand of potential cases in, in the future? Yeah, so a couple of things. In the criminal and civil courts, we have something called the statute of limitations, which is a deadline by which you have to sue or else your case will get thrown out of court. So certain cases, if you want to get really technical here, if you watch, uh, Tyler, you watch a show called Cold Case. You familiar with Cold Case? Oh, yes. Certain cr crimes or civil cases are not going to have a statute of limitations. That's why a murder case like 40 years old can get solved and the guy goes to prison, right? Certain cases don't. Sexual assault is one that generally has some, some form of statute of limitations, de depending on the variation of, of, and degree of, of sexual assault that occurs. This is one that seemingly does have a statute of limitations in the state of Texas. It's a short one. Now, what does not have a deadline to sue or to come forward with an allegation is the NFL's personal conduct policy. So let's say you get this thing wrapped up, all the lawsuits settle, they get resolved, one way or another, whatever. Watson is a young man. I expect him to be playing in the NFL for, for better or for worse for many more years. If, let's say, somebody says, you know what? let's say in the, the ripe old age of 2030, seven years from now, eight years from now, someone comes forward and they go, no, you know what? I was assaulted by Deshaun Watson back then. I wasn't comfortable coming forward. I'm comfortable now. Here's what happened. And it's the same stuff as the other suits. Um, the NFL could launch an investigation in theory that would be violative, potentially violative of the NFL's personal conduct policy. That's why you're going to have to continue to look over your, your shoulder if you're Deshaun Watson, because you don't know when these women are going to come back. And I don't know, about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, Watson was asked about that New York Times report. Do you think that number sounds right? 66 masseuses in a 17-month period. And, you know, the, the picture says a thousand words, a video says a million. He looked at his face. You could tell he didn't know, right? I'm sure that number is, unless he has some crazy Excel spreadsheet of every massage he got, he has no clue. Um, right. And there was an allegation at certain points in this case that Watson was deleting his, his social media messages in, in terms of this case. So he, I don't think he knows that number. So that's that's the fear that there is no deadline by which someone can't come to the NFL or come public with their statements, um, you know, and, and really get Watson in trouble. So, you know, there's there's precedent for it in sports history. Someone coming up with a, a cold case, so to speak. Um, but here we are, Watson. It's, this is why, you know, in a football sense, I've always been surprised that the Browns parted with three first round draft picks and two two hundred thirty million dollars guaranteed the most guaranteed money in NFL history for a guy where like. They don't really know his availability moving forward for this year. And I'm telling you as a lawyer, they don't know that his availability, like moving forward for his career, another, you know, accuser could pop up any day and that might change the entire calculus of his availability. Yeah. Now you mentioned the guaranteed money. How guaranteed is the guaranteed money? It looks like that he would be out $300,000 this year. But if we see another case come up in the future or a longer suspension, um, is there any way down the line that the Browns can get out of this? You know, the, there was an argument that the NFL, the Browns were trying to make that post-trade because there were a couple more lawsuits filed that those were maybe new cases that could potentially allow them to, you know, void the contract. Um, I don't think they're going to go that route just because they've already given up three first-round picks. So they kind of have made their bed with Watson. They kind of have to lie in it. So, I mean, certainly there's a world where if Watson didn't disclose certain things. Yeah. I mean, they potentially could void the contract, but if the new cases that come up are in that same territory, what we call in the law, it's called the common nucleus of fact. If they're all kind of similar, they all contain the same allegations, massage therapists, social media, you're using your stature as an NFL player, right? They have that same common theme. Even if, you know, uh, Watson didn't say like the name of these two new cases or three new cases or four new cases, 
the grounds are kind of put on what we call constructive notice. They probably should have known that more cases could follow. So that's the argument. Unless, Tyler, something comes up where we go from, and, and Judge Robinson was clear here, she didn't find any incidents of violent sexual contact. She didn't find it, which is a, you know, you, use your imagination as to what a, a violent sexual assault would be. She didn't find that occurred. If something like that comes up in the future, right, that's of a different character and nature of the 24 cases that we've heard thus far, that could be different. That could maybe result in avoiding of the contract. But the Browns seem inclined to uh, want to ride out this uh, Deshaun Watson train, for better or for worse. They've got his back. So I guess it's a good thing that to see your team defending a player. But, um, you know, you certainly have, um, you know, my fair, I share friends of that are, are Browns fans that are not happy with the team's handling of Watson at all. So kind of caught between a rock and a hard place at this point if you're the Browns. Yeah. Uh, I, I know you got Ron, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up on this point. Uh, the Texans, you mentioned the settlements they've paid and, and you know, their, their part that they've been involved in directly, you know, with the, the victims and the NDAs and all that. Is there any punishment or any investigation you think uh, possibly headed towards the Houston Texans for their role? You know, the NFL has been pretty mum on that question. I know several reporters have reached out to the NFL to try to get a comment and they don't. Uh, I think they're being met with like a wall of silence. Um, I think the Texans certainly could be punished, uh, especially right if their actions helped conceal um, certain elements of the sexual assault. And then they were able to benefit from that by getting three first round picks. So let's see how much the Texans knew. I, I would be very surprised if the NFL was not investigating this right now. Um, you know, certainly when the Texans settled the cases, they put in those and, you know, those general releases, we're not admitting any type of fault or wrongdoing. Um, but, you know, the fact that you settle with 30 women that quickly uh, tells me that, that maybe, right, the NFL should be looking under under the hood over at Houston HQ. Okay. Before we go, Dan, uh, where can people follow you to see all the uh, great work you're doing uh, covering this case and, and others as well? I mean, we didn't even talk about the Dolphins, their situation with Stephen Ross and all that. I mean, so much going on that you get covered on your podcast and everything else, right? Yeah, you know, it's uh, sometimes I do. We usually do once a week, sometimes twice a week. This week, it's probably going to be a three times a week podcast just because keep getting hit with over the head with breaking news after breaking news. Our podcast is called Conduct Detrimental, the sports law podcast. Don't sue us, Ohio State. I know you've trademarked the, but we're, we're going to go ahead and use it. And uh, yeah, I'm on uh, social media at Sports Law Lust. Twitter is really where you can find me. And Tyler, how you and I hooked up uh, in the first instance through a, a mutual friend of ours who I met through Twitter. So always a pleasure to join you. And you let me know when you need me. I'm happy to pop on. Hey, Dan, anytime. Appreciate you joining me, man. Provide some great analysis. Follow him on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. And uh, he's all over this Deshaun Watson case as well as others. And we'll talk again down the line. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Thanks, Tyler. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone. That's 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. And you can also reach out to Bo by email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's brian with a Y, dot O'Connor at lpl.com. And he is also the host of the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday. And he joins us right now. Bo, we are back after a uh, summer break of sorts on the show the last couple of weeks. But good to have you back, my friend. What's been going on with you? Uh, you did a little traveling, right? Yeah, last week we uh, I had my annual conference for my broker-dealer LPL, so I was in Denver for a few days. Got the hookup, do my, uh, we did our podcast in person, so uh, Ellen, our co-host, was on with me. We were all at her house. Uncle Rico jumped in, so it's fun there, and then um, just uh, 
this time of year, it was fun to go to conference. It's a fun time to go and learn more about how we can help more people. And it's a great time. So it's it kind of reinvigorates you in many ways, which I was happy to get in and get that done. So Very good. Glad to uh, hear that went well for you, Bo. Um, plenty to uh, discuss in just a moment, but uh, what's going on at OAG these days? Hey, we are, you know, this time of year, you know, everybody's getting back to school soon. Yes, we're already back to school. We're in August. Oh, um, no, Bo. I mean, I haven't been in school in years, and I still don't even like hearing that. <laughs> uh, so a lot of people are thinking about, you know, what are they going to do with their kids? They're worried about, hey, now you're thinking about your kids going back to school. Have you planned for college? Are you saving for college? Do you need a way to do that? We can help you with that. We can help you in many different ways and be flexible with it. We want to talk to you. So if you got some education planning you need to do, give us a shout. We want to we want to work with you, see what we can do, be your partner, as we always like to say. And uh, a great way to – this is a great time of year to start thinking about that stuff. Yes, uh, definitely so. Uh, Bo, uh, at the time that uh, we are recording this, uh, the NFL preseason gets started tonight. And we'll talk about Deshaun Watson and all that in just a moment. But uh, real quick, uh, the NFL preseason already here. Hall of Fame game tonight. Uh, this Hall of Fame class, really good group. And it uh, should be a fun weekend uh, with the, the ceremony and the speeches and all that. Uh, pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, you know, you don't have the big headliner. There's no Peyton Manning kind of headliner to this group. Um, but I'm excited. You know, I'm a Saints guy, and Sam Mills is the one I'm excited about getting in. He was one of my favorites. He was my dad's favorite Saint, one of my favorites as well. And this whole class, they're all really, I mean, well-deserving players across the board, and I'm excited for all of them. And it does give us that, you know, where now the season is here kind of thing. Football season kind of begins. At this point, you know, it's it's like it's like spring training in baseball. We got we got we were in camp and now let's get it moving. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, I think so. And uh, going to be great to see uh, this uh, this Hall of Fame class for 2022. And uh, some of the uh, names here uh, that are in this uh, Hall of Fame class uh, that that made it uh, for uh, 2022 include. Uh, Dick Vermeil, uh, as well as, uh, you know, Tony Baselli's in this class, um, a number of others, uh, in a, what's been described as kind of a unique class of sorts, uh, you know, here, you know, I mean, Dick, Dick Vermeil for me is, is one that's interesting that it took him this long. I thought he would have been sooner by now. I mean, he, he coached three different teams and won in all three places. Yeah, coaches take a while. I mean, he'll Jimmy Johnson just got in. So uh it, it's you know, so that doesn't surprise me. It took a little while to get Dick Vermeil in. Um, the only one that I was like, hey, this is like an all-time guy is Baselli. I mean, he's one of the greatest tackles I've ever seen. Um, so if, to me, if you have a headliner, it's him, but he's a tackle. So that's sometimes where it's not, you know, it's not as flashy as having a great quarterback or a great running back, that kind of thing. Yeah, Richard I mean, Seymour, I guess, would be a good one, too. Yeah, Richard Seymour, because of his years at the Patriots, is well-known. Um, you know, Cliff uh, Cliff Branch is an ex-Raider. People know who that is. Uh, Leroy Butler, 
way underrated. I mean, I'm glad to see him get in. And then Bryant Young was the biggest surprise for me in the class. That see Bryant Young get in, uh, multiple, multiple time Pro Bowl or multiple teams. Uh, the bulk of his time with the 49ers, and then Sam Mills, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Saints and Panthers, great. Um, yeah, it's not a flashy class, but it's because it's not players in flashy positions, and it's none of the guys who are. Um, the, the, they don't have Madden ratings, right? Put it that way. None of these guys have got great Madden ratings. And, and I'd be shocked if we have any iconic, memorable speeches like Peyton Manning's last year or Ray Lewis's a couple of years ago. There's not the personalities necessarily. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, just the nature of these guys haven't had to speak in front of big groups. I mean, it's just not the these aren't the positions of that. I'll bet Dig Vermeil's the tearjerker though. Yeah. Dick Vermeil's he's going to cry for sure. Um, and, and I'm interested to see who's going to be accepting for Sam Mills because he's passed away. Right. But, um, yeah, Dick Vermeil's is going to make at least make him cry. I don't know about everybody else, but we'll see. You know, Bo, you're, you're quite the hype man yourself. If I ever get into a Hall of Fame in broadcasting, like, I need to have you introduce me. <laughs> uh, I. I don't know about that one, Tyler. I'll tell you what I did see this past week. Did you see, you know, the um God, I can't think now. It was Ric Flair's last match. You know, Ric Flair, the wrestler had his yes. last match. They had a roast to Ric Flair. And did you see I can't think who the announcer was now, but the MC, oh God, I gotta pull this up for you now. But it was pretty incredible. And I thought of you when I saw this. It was one of the old SEC announcers. Um it was I, I thought of you. I can't think of it now who it was, but it was the jokes on jokes. It was like you and I were having a good time on, on some of the jokes that were going around that day. Oh, that's great. So, um yeah, it was it was pretty cool stuff. All um, right. Yeah, but yeah, it, it's funny you say that. You say that you'd want me to roast to do to be that guy introducing you. I don't know. You I'm sure you could find better. I, I bet Tim Brando would be really good at getting you in there. So Tim already volunteered to uh, officiate my wedding someday. So yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I'm going to save that one in the in the cards. You know, I don't want to overwork Tim too much. You know, you don't want you don't want to overwork Tim Brando. I get it. You know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. nonetheless, uh, Sean Watson. Uh, we just talked a few moments ago with uh, sports attorney Dan Lust, and he kind of laid out the legal groundwork of this uh, situation with Deshaun Watson. And so I want to pick back up, kind of look at it from a different angle this point with you, Bo, on the, on the football side of things. Yeah. Um, If you are the Browns right now, granted you baked your own cake here, you set yourself up for this whatsoever, but isn't it interesting that here you are, what is it? five, six weeks from the season begins, the NFL's put in their appeal, and you don't know if your quarterback is going to be suspended six games as it upholds right now, if the league is going to, uh, you know, add more games, or if Deshaun's going to take it to federal court and then it gets pushed back maybe even an entire year. I mean, the, the uncertainty to me, if you're the Browns, and, and and no one's feeling bad for them whatsoever. But this is an interesting scenario of not knowing uh, 
at all what who's how long you're going to have your quarterback this this season. Yeah, I got to think that first off, we got to think that the Browns ownership had to be talking to other owners saying, hey, let's not appeal this. Um, just trying to move on from it. And I imagine there was a few teams that probably don't want to appeal just in the idea of let's just move on. But I, the football-wise, this, it's as if you're the Browns, it's a tough situation. I have no empathy for them because they put them in themselves, themselves in this situation. I, I don't feel bad for them even the least little bit. But, yeah, it's got to be tough for your coaching staff to say, all right, we're going with Jacoby Brissett. We don't know if it's for six weeks, eight weeks, a year, you know, or if this appeal doesn't go quickly or doesn't go the way we want it, is there going to be a lawsuit? And then if there's a lawsuit, is this going to get pushed off? I can't think that it's going to be a lawsuit, and I can't think that Goodell is going to rule as the as the appellate judge here, so to speak. I can't think that he's going to rule for more than a year. And I think the Browns are probably prepared for that. I mean, I think the Browns have got to have a plan in place already for six, eight in the season. Mm -hmm. If they don't, then that's even worse on them for messing around like this. So I I think that, yeah, there's definitely some issues there if you're the coaching staff. But they should have, by now, made a – have a plan in place to say, here's what we're going to do. And they're going to be fine with Jacoby Brissett in the meantime, if it's six games or eight games. Uh, for a season, uh, you're going to go with Jacoby Brissett. I mean, you're putting the season, I think. But I, again, either way, you get no empathy for me in this case. I'm full on. He should have gotten a year. I thought he should have gotten two years. Yeah. I mean, I, to go a little further, the non-football side of me on this, I've talked about it on my pod, I've talked about you here. I've thought because of the contract and how that contract was put together when he went to Cleveland, I thought it made the Browns um, accountable. Or, or they should be held more accountable on this. The fact that they structured a contract that he only loses a million dollars if he's suspended for a season, I think was horrible and implorable by both sides. And I think in the end, I think that both sides should suffer here, both the Browns and Watson. And I don't think near enough price was paid with this with this uh, six game suspension. Yeah, um, you know the NFL handed things to Sue Robinson, a former, yeah. you know, federal judge, to yeah. make this call, and ultimately she goes with six games i brought this idea up to dan lost uh a sports attorney that was on with us just a little while ago and i'll bring the same idea to you here bo this is this is my theory on uh the way the system's set up now how these cases are handled by sue robinson before they go to a goodell and an appeal we have seen over the years ray rice ezekiel elliott you know a number of these things where the suspensions were handed out and there was such outrage that the NFL, after the fact, was probably thinking to themselves, "Eh, I wish we had a do-over. wish we could have done that over again. We didn't expect the public backlash to be this way. I feel like the way this system is set up is that ultimately, 
Roger Goodell and company are going to get what they want one way or the other, but they're going to use Sue Robinson as the fall guy, essentially, if they don't, if she doesn't get it right the first time, then Goodell can come in and fix it, if you want to call it that, and then, you know, hand out the suspension that way. It gives them another shot, essentially, and lets Robinson take the blame and look, the NFL almost look good in a sense. That's what I think this this would this situation comes down to. I don't disagree. And I I I don't know if that was how they want it. I mean, the way things are adjudicated now, um, the new CBA has, I think the players wanting to have Judge Robinson involved is a good idea. To where you do take, you know, judge, jury, and executioner away from Goodell. But the fact that Goodell is the appellate judge does point to what you're saying. I agree with that. Um, I like the fact that, you know, Judge Robinson is the first person that's going to rule on these things. Um, I don't like the ruling of this particular case, but that doesn't mean I don't like the system. Uh, but I do see your point. I hadn't really thought of it that way in that, yeah, the obviously negotiating the CBA, the players come in and say, well, we want a, a different arbiter. They get it. And then Goodell puts in, well, I get to be the appeals court. That's that's pretty slick. That's mm-hmm. pretty uh that's pretty good move by the by the owners in that case. Uh I don't particularly like it. I'm a player's first guy, but I do think that that's you, you're probably on to something there. Really hadn't given that much thought in that way, but uh, I find that interesting, and I find that that could be uh, spot on in a way. I, I, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, it's something to think about uh, yeah. as far as that goes. Now, because Goodell needs to fade some of this blame. Right, there's a lot he's had to take on. That's his job as commissioner. But at some point, they've got to fade some of this to somebody else. This is the way you could do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that said, now looking at Deshaun Watson, what do you think he's thinking right now of, okay, initially it was six. Now it could be more if the you know league goes through in their appeal process, you know, adds on more games. And then potentially going to federal court, which I think we all expect Sean to do at this point. Um, Bo, I I don't know about you. I feel like we I feel pretty confident that Sean Watson will play this year. I don't know if it's the full season or if it's, you know, part of the way, whatever it may be, but there's still ways to go in this process with Goodell's ruling and then possibly federal court. We might have a whole nother year before Deshaun Watson actually has time served. Yeah. I don't think what have you heard on Deshaun Watson's odds of taking this to federal court? Cause I got to um, think that if it's a year. If the suspension goes up significantly, like what we were talking about with just with Dan, just a few moments ago, 10, 12 games from six, then almost definitely he takes it to federal court. Because I would think that he was prepared to sit out this year. This but the nature of the the nature of the contract tells me that. I, I have no other insight. 
But I would think by the nature of the contract, he was well. He turned down the negotiated settlement. the The league was willing to take twelve games, and he said no. Yeah. So and maybe you're right there. Um, yeah. So I I can't think that Goodell's going to give him a whole bunch more. I I would think that it's best for all sides, and I think that even for Watson is to get out of the. If he gets a year or less, just get out of the. The, the frame of it and move on. I mean, it's, it's hurting his brand as well. I mean, it's hurting the NFL, but it's hurting Watson too. You know, you can, you can't move on if you keep pushing. So I, I don't know. I, I see where the point is of, you know, suing, but first off, I don't think Adele's going to a full season. I, I think you're right that he's, that we're going to see Deshaun Watson in uniform this year. As to what is Deshaun Watson thinking, his first thought is probably he needs a massage. So if I he can only get by it from the team now. Yeah, he's he's thinking about who's gonna get me a fake Instagram account. He's gonna get a burner. He's already on it. He's probably got you know someone with a burner. Well, and based on the way the Browns operated, the way they've handled this whole situation, uh who knows what type of massage parlors they're gonna get him. They might have a massage parlor brought in. They might have some per- some pros ready for him. It's Cleveland, you know, and you know, they can do some things, and they got plenty of money. I mean, they're already a organization. So, um, you know, I I don't know. that I'm at the point where I'm kind of just exasperated on the whole thing. I really didn't like that it was six games. And I think it just goes to show that in the end, they're not taking this seriously. I saw and read a lot of what uh, Judge Robinson said. I mean, they say he lied. Um, you know, he he Watson lied to her um, that some of the things that were being put out there, this was sexual assault. It was heinous, but which was stopped short of it was violent. I don't know about you, but the nature of sexual assault to me is violent. Yes. Just in its nature. So that's why I was, I was listening to Andrew Brandt earlier in the week and he said that, he didn't agree with them, but he said that he thinks that the reason they went six games was there was a similar case, not with what we've seen here, but of domestic uh, issue that was nonviolent where a player got three games. And this was double that. And it's like, hey, look, this many times, this many you know happenings, it, I thought it should have been a year. And then the contract thing made me think it should have been two. And I think six games is horrible. I think it's a slap in the face to the victims. It's a slap in the face to the the way the NFL is moving forward on things. And we're seeing this now with the Stephen Ross stuff with the Dolphins. The NFL is just going to kind of moving things along. They, They adjudicate these things quickly as quietly as possible as to not mess with the brand. Yeah. Speaking of the Dolphins, uh, that transitions us to uh, their punishment. Loss of a a first and third round draft pick hammered uh, for tampering with Tom Brady and Sean Payton both. Um, Also, the NFL finds that uh, Brian Flores was not paid to tank, although that they – did admit in the report that Stephen Ross prioritized the draft over winning games, which tells me they were tanking. 
Um, but nonetheless, uh, at the end of the day, the Dolphins lose a first and third round pick because they talked to Tom Brady and Sean Payton. Could you think of a more worse run move? I mean, th- this is very on brand for this Dolphins franchise under Stephen Ross, right? Yes, this is. And, and again, he's being penalized a penance. I mean, look, we heard the story when Brady came back that you know it was gonna he was gonna go to the Dolphins as an executive, trade for his rights. This whole this was obviously a plan. This was obviously a plan from the get-go. And if you were talking to Brady and you were talking to Sean Payton and you didn't get permission, that's tampering. One of the three, that's all. And you find that guy who's a billionaire, $1.5 million. That's tip money for Stephen. Yeah. Stephen Ross. That's, that's a rounding error in your, your books. And being suspended, and suspended too. It's like, okay, you can't suspend an owner. Yeah, we've saw that we saw how that suspension of an owner work a few years ago with um with Washington. Last time last time I checked, Stephen Ross still owns the football team. Yes. I mean it this is just again another example of the NFL. Let's move it as move it along as quickly and as quietly as possible so we don't tarnish the shield. Latency. Yeah. Um, the Dolphins have a new head coach. They gave up a decent amount of draft capital for Tyreek Hill, uh, to the chiefs there, the Dolphins, you and I have, have liked what they've done since since the tank of the players they've drafted that young core. I didn't like them firing Brian Flores, not so high on Tua, but I mean, everywhere else, uh, I mean, how much does you think this potentially sets back the Dolphins here? Even with them getting rid of Flores, uh, I like their new head coach, Mike McDaniel, too. He's impressed me so far. Yeah, the I, I, Mike McDaniel's a fine coach. You and I have both been big on Flores. And I'm sad that Flores got fired. I thought he was – I still stand by. I think Brian Flores is the best head coach of any of Belichick's assistant coaches. I thought he was doing a great job. I thought that team – was a young, up-and-coming team. Uh, We weren't sure on Tua, but he was the guy they wanted when they got him. I mean, that was the guy. He was the guy they were tanking for. It just so happened they got him. Right. And, you know, they made the trade for Tyreek Hill. The the, Not having a first-round pick is a big deal. You don't get anything in return for it. I mean, not a big deal if you got something. They didn't get anything for it. Especially if Tua doesn't work out this year, there goes yeah. that first round pick. That first round pick is going to be costly because now they can't make a deal to get. Um, they're not going to be able to trade to bring in somebody to go to trade up. But I, I look at this. I look at the Dolphins, and you go, man, this owner is just messing up. And then you look at the team itself. I mean, I like Mike McGann, fine coach. I'd rather have Brian Flores. And I just liked that the team was what Brian Flores' vision was going to be. And I I think that they screwed themselves on this deal because Stephen Ross wanted a big name. He wanted Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. And, and I, this whole thing is a joke to me on the whole 
the Dolphins thing. And, and no, they're not going to be successful this season unless they are 100% dependent on Tua. Tua's not good. They're not good. Right. Period. If they are very good, it's because Tua is very good. And I'm not sure that we've seen enough from Tua to, 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 to know if he's going to be great. I don't think he's going to be great, but he could be serviceable. And now you go and get him a good left tackle. You get him a target in Tyreek Hill. And this is it. This is his last chance. Dolphins. If he's not great this year, if he's not, if then, then they're going to have to move on. They're not going to have any draft capital. And there's no way to move up in that draft. They don't have a first round pick to move up from. So how do you get another quarterback? And I don't think yeah. Leach is very long with Tua either because Teddy Bridgewater is very serviceable, and we know that Teddy Bridgewater can take teams to the playoffs. Um, I mean, we saw last year he was playing good with Denver before he got hurt here. I mean, if this is a Miami team that has an expectation to make the playoffs this year with the talent on that roster, Tua, I mean, if he doesn't have it, I don't think that they'll that leash is very long. They'll pull that plug quit quick and give Teddy a shot. Yeah, I think Tua's going to get six to eight weeks. Let's we'll see. It depends. How's that record going to look six to eight weeks in? If they're under 500 in eight weeks and he hasn't played well, he gone. I mean, it's – yeah, they're going to go to Bridgewater and they're going to say, you're the guy for the next eight weeks. Last thing on uh, this this whole situation, uh, you know, Sean Payton, this was, this was tampering, right? You know, he was yeah. still uh, employed with the Saints, wasn't officially retired yet, but – even then, with the Saints still holding his rights for what is it, the next two, three years, two, something like two that. Seasons. Have two, two seasons. Two seasons of his rights. Yeah, this upcoming offseason, if you're the Saints and Sean Payton says that he wants to come back and coach somewhere else, I mean, you're not going to fire Dennis Allen to bring Sean Payton back. I mean, unless, no. unless things just went horribly wrong for Dennis Allen, whatever. But, you know, for me, I would look at, I would say, okay, if, if Sean Payton wants to come back, if we're going to give up his rights, somebody better come here with a damn good offer. Like, you know, there, there's there's no incentive. Why should we give up our rights to Sean Payton if we don't have to? Unless you're going to give me something, then, no, nah, I'll let Sean Payton sit out another year and, uh, and then collect on that money later. Uh, you know, let draft capital. I mean, if he wants to come back in that stretch, don't trade him now, I would trade him next year. Yeah. The Saints are counting on someone coming in and making a trade for Sean Payton's rights. They're counting on it. When they made the trade on draft day to move up in the draft and move and moved their only first-round pick next year, they made that deal knowing and thinking they think they're going to get a first-round pick for Sean Payton. Yeah. And I do think someone's going to pay it. I'll tell you who I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. I think if the Cowboys don't make the playoffs, if they're not real good, I mean, if they're not contending for the Super Bowl, Mike McCarthy's out. And they the, the Cowboys have wanted Sean Payton. Jerry Jones has wanted him for 10 years. And he would have no problem giving up a first-round pick. 
Yeah, the Saints are definitely going to hold that those rights for the next two seasons. They're going to wait till Dallas or somebody else comes along and wants to hire Sean Payton. Sean Payton made it clear he's going to coach you. Yeah. He made it clear this was a temporary move. He didn't want to coach. He didn't want to coach the New Orleans Saints because he didn't want to coach the Saints without Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. He didn't like what he had last season. He didn't like not having Drew Brees. And now he's thinking, I don't want to do a rebuild. And they were, Sean Payton moved on. Dennis Allen's the new coach. And the Saints made the decision of use, make Jameis Winston the guy and put every piece you can around him to try to keep this thing together for another season or two. So, I mean, I, I think that in the end, that just wasn't what Sean Payton wanted. That's what it was. It was he and the GM and the, the, the football ops people didn't see eye to eye. One has to go. It was Peyton. Right. He, would, he wasn't fired. He just said, hey, I'm just not doing this. But, yeah, and the Saints are saying, okay, it's fine. Go make whatever money you're going to make announcing games or, or in a studio somewhere. We'll hold your rights, and then you let us know where you want to go. Do you think the Dolphins wouldn't have given that first-round pick to the Saints? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they would. And, and they think the Cowboys will. Uh, yeah, he'll be coaching somewhere next year, and he'll be – and the Saints are going to get a first-round pick for him. Uh, a couple college football notes here uh, real quick uh, yeah. to wrap up the football fix this week. Uh, Nick Saban said that uh, last season was a rebuilding year for the Tide. There was a troll comment on his part. I mean, they, they played oh, yeah. the national championship game, had a Heisman Trophy winner – won their conference in a rebuilding year. Um, you know, that that team was so good last year. You know, did the better team win the title? Yeah, Georgia was the better team, sure. And Georgia's team was the better team throughout the season, even though they lost that SEC title game to Alabama. Uh, yeah. But but with that said, I mean, to Saban's point, this year's team, like last year's team was good. And another year more experience, more talent coming in. I mean, it, it almost sounds cliche to say, but, Bo, this Alabama team, this is going to be an all-timer. I, I, I have a feel. Like, it, this is going to be one, one of the best Sabans ever had. Yeah. I've made it clear on my feeling on Nick Saban. I've always – I've said it publicly. I think this is Nick Saban's last season in Alabama. I don't think he's coaching past 2022. Uh, over 70. I don't think he wants to deal with NIL. And I think that he is loaded up for this season. This is everything he could do. He's got, he's got Bryce he's Young. out on top. Yeah, this is it. It is all in for him. Win the national title and walk off. This is going to be what he does. I thought he almost walked off at the end of the year last year. But, but I really believe this is it. I think that's why he made that comment. I think he's people throwing people off the scent. I think the plan will whole way right now is that this is it for Nick Saban. This might be his best team. We don't know till they play, but they are loaded at every position. They've got a Heisman Trophy winner coming back play quarterback. Um, he hasn't recruited as hard for next season. You notice they're not doing quite as well as they have been You know, as far as for 2023. I think that it's I think it's his last hurrah. I think it just kind of points that direction to me a little bit. 
I'm breathing maybe a little too much into it. But yeah, I, I think it's kind of goofy to say that last year was a rebuild. He could probably say that wasn't as talented a team as the last three or four he's had. But that team's loaded with NFL players, and they're all going to be a year more experienced now. Speaking of uh, Nick Saban and NILs, you mentioned two of his friends in the U.S. Senate are working on a bipartisan NIL deal. That would be Tommy Tuberville and Joe Manchin. Of course, only Nick Saban can get bipartisan work done in Washington. Uh, it, you know, I, I've, I've said for a long time, like we're wasting Nick Saban as a football coach. He could be so much more with as smart as he is and great leader he is. The only man that can get things done in Washington looks like it's Nick Saban. So uh, an NIL deal, a national NIL deal, um, Bo, we've seen like everyone, this appears to be what they're pushing towards is uniformity, wanting federal legislation at the NIL level. Uh, I think yeah. that we're, we're getting close to getting that done probably. I don't think we're anywhere close to it, but I think it's what's needed. I think that some kind of uniformity amongst all the states Right now, with the way things are going, you've got the um, the way it's going in each state. You've got unequal laws in certain places. You've got some states where in Alabama, they revoked a law because of NIL. Um, it's, I'll, I'll in think about Georgia, of the Georgia? national champions, you have to share your NIL money yeah, they equally with your teammates. They're changing that. They're changing these things. Yeah, these coaches are stepping in. Kirby Smart's getting that change. In Alabama, it was an automatic one year in prison if you were found guilty of improprieties of giving money to a player that caused for that player to be suspended by the NCAA. That law has been revoked. It's been taken off the books by the by the Alabama House and led the legislatures. Um, it's amazing what they're doing. I don't know that they're going to get bipartisanship on this right now. I mean, yeah, you got Joe Manchin and and Tommy Tuberville, but Tommy Tuberville, I don't think anybody takes seriously. And Joe Manchin's as close to being a Republican as a as a Democrat can be. Um, so I don't know they have true um, bipartisanship. But I do think there should be a, an equal set of laws, and you're going to have to get it done at the congressional level because there's so much tied in. If you try to do this, just the NCAA try to do this, for instance, you're going to have lawsuits with unions. You're going to have lawsuits with every state. It's going to have to get done at some kind of congressional level, similar to what the NFL has, what Major League Baseball has. There's a lot that's going to go into this, and it's going to take a very long time. And in the meantime, we're going to have the wild, wild west down here. That's what it's going to be. I don't see any way this gets done in the next year or two. There you have it. Coach Bo joining us for the uh, football fix this week, presented by O'Connor Advisor Group. He'll stick around as uh, we have our draft segment coming up next. All right, a couple more things before we go today as uh, Coach Bo is uh, hanging out with us in our draft segment this week. And, uh, Bo, this week we're drafting TV shows we used to watch. <laughs> um, 
I have consumed a lot of TV in my life, uh, both current shows, older shows, all types of stuff, everything from comedies to dramas, reality TV, bad reality TV, game shows, everything in between. Um, Bo, what what are some uh, old... Uh, what what comes to mind? Uh, some some of the favorite uh, types of shows that you you enjoyed you've enjoyed over the years. Um, you know, I think it, a TV is kind of like a, a glimpse into your life and where you are at a certain time. You know, I mean, there's times where I watched stuff that was you know um, you know when I was a teenager, I watched teenager stuff. When I was uh, a kid, I watched kid stuff. When the, now as an adult, and I don't watch a lot of TV now. I mean, like my viewing is mostly sports, and then I do watch a lot of movies. Well, I, I watch some movies, uh, but I do get a, occasionally someone will recommend a uh, a um, show to me, and I'll be like, okay, I'll catch it and catch up on some stuff. But uh, I don't know. I, I what type of stuff? I guess we'll see how's that draft. We'll see how kind of type of stuff I like. What I miss, but I think a big part of his is, is TV is, um, what do you miss? What the that part of your life kind of thing? Yes, yes. Um, I think that's that's a very good point. Uh, what you watch on TV too, I think, tells a lot about you. And what you used to what you used to watch over the years also kind of tells how far you've come. Like, you know, some of the stuff. I've tried to like go back and watch what I enjoyed growing up. Like, how did I ever watch this? Like the one for me recently, Bo, I spent a lot of years watching this show and I tried to watch it again recently. And I'm like, I can't believe I sat through this every week with anticipation and excitement. I mean, it's the same thing every week. Like I couldn't believe I watched so much survivor growing up. I mean, survivor. Sure. It was a good show, but I mean, I, I tried to watch it again about like a year or two ago. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's like the same thing every week. I, mean, I had a similar thing with Survivor. I watched Survivor when it first came out. And the first couple seasons I was in. And then I got to where I just didn't watch it anymore. And now I can't watch it. I can't watch a lot of reality TV. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Survivor, I will not be drafting. I'll tell you that right I now. I won't be drafting Survivor either. No. <laughs> So we already have an honorable mention, but like a not so honorable mention of sorts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not so. No, no. How many you going to? How many we drafting this week? Well, uh, we'll draft six. Uh, okay. Or, or actually, since there are two of us, we can go ahead and draft eight. You know, just make it okay. interesting. So we'll draft eight this week, uh, snake draft style, um, and uh, kind of go from there. Shows we used to watch, and uh, by that kind of self-explanatory means we do not watch these shows now. They could be shows that are still on the air that whether it's reruns or new episodes, but we just don't watch them anymore. So Okay, so if it's something that like you go back and see once in a while, does that count? Um let's see, not not something you watch regularly. Let's put it that okay. way. Okay. All right. Um, like for me, I I The Office is one of my favorite shows of all time. Yeah. But uh, and I used to watch that all the time, but I still, every once in a while, go back and watch on on Peacock or Comedy okay. Central, you yeah. know, whatever. Like, watch. Yeah, it. if it's on Comedy Central, I watch it. Yeah, right. I watch episodes here and there, but not okay. regularly like I used. Okay, so I'm with you now. Okay. okay. 
All right, so uh, we'll uh, get things started here. Uh, all uh, I'll take the first pick, and then uh, Bo can have the back-to-back. How are you? Uh, show that I, I used to watch. My first pick off the board. Um, this show set records when it came to ratings, and its prime was probably, I would say, in the mid-2000s, and everyone was watching. Everyone was glued to their TVs. Uh, for this, and it was must-see every night. But then a few years later, it lost its luster. And, it, it, and for me, I, I, first off, the board's American Idol for me. I was big into American Idol, especially with Simon Cowell was there, and Paul Abdul, Ryan Seacrest. But once you got rid of the original cast and all that and you know all the great talent that was there over the years, it just never was the same again, never was the same show, and I never yeah. got back into it. So American Idol was my choice. Bo, did you ever get into American Idol? I've watched an episode here or there, but I've never really got into it. Like I never was someone who can go vote and this and that. My oh, wife voting like, every week. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't. I never got into all that. Occasionally, there'd be somebody on there that, like Jen, would say, "Hey, you might want to check this person out. You'll like that." Or if she's watching, I just want to sit down with her. Yeah, I can watch it, but it was not one of my favorites. No. Okay. So American Idol off the board for me. Bo, you got back-to-back picks. All right. Well, number one's easy for me, The Sopranos. Okay. The Sopranos is my favorite show I've, of all time. I've never seen The Sopranos, personally. It was my favorite show. It was appointment television, Sunday night. The Sopranos was, it was, I mean, it was, I mean, you know what it is, right? It's a mafia show. Yes. And it was, the main character was Tony Soprano. And it was it was cool because it was the first kind of like big time um, drama, weekly drama that was on HBO. There had been others. I mean, like The Wire, which was a better show. But this one had a, a, had a good cast and it was appointment television. And you could do things and say things and on, on The Sopranos that you couldn't do like on network TV. And so to me... And it was, again, appointment TV every single week. I loved the surprise. Okay. Uh, Next pick. All right, next pick. Another kind of mainstream one that you can still see on, like, Comedy Central or your local TV late at night is Seinfeld. Yes. And I, I I didn't get into Seinfeld at first. Like, Seinfeld started when I was in high school. And it came on like an hour after Cheers. And I used to watch Cheers with my dad. And it was that was one of my favorite shows, too. But when I got to college, I started watching Seinfeld. And Seinfeld, like people who like The Office and people who like the where you have multiple characters, that's really what Seinfeld did so well. And to me, I, I think it's the best comedy yet. I, I think it's great, the characters. And it became the biggest show I mean, like the last episode of Seinfeld is one of the most watched things of all time. So to me, that's number two. It was it became a point for television. And then over the years, I'll glance at it when it's on. But if I see an episode of Seinfeld's on, it's like you know how certain movies you can watch, and even if you start in the middle of it, you can follow it. Yes. Seinfeld episodes are that way for me. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Um, and there's so many classic moments. Yeah. Every episode is just worth watching. And, you know, it, it's the perfect show to watch at like 1130 at night when nothing else is on. And you yeah. can 
flip it on. Yeah, I'll watch Seinfeld. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, back to back picks for me. Um, I am for this uh, next pick. Uh, I'm going to go with a show that was truly one of a kind. Um, the main host of this show was actually picked in our first draft um, of the season. I am going to go with Fear Factor. Uh, Joe Rogan hosted uh, Fear Factor, and there has never been a show like it. It was perfect for its time. It could not be done again in this day and age like it is like it was then. Um, and a, a touching moment of sorts, a uh, little connection there. Uh, my 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 old aunt Terry, who uh, who passed away several years ago, my my dad's uh, sister. Uh, she and I, we would uh, we'd hang out, watch watch Fear Factor. That's how we bonded was over Fear Factor. Me as a kid and. I saw some crazy stuff that, especially for that age, just blew my mind. Uh, Fear Factor goes off the board for me. Bo, uh, did you ever watch Fear Factor with Joe Rogan? I have seen Fear Factor. Whenever I hear Fear Factor, obviously Joe Rogan became, I guess, more famous when he did Fear Factor. I always think of Dave Chappelle's um, uh, spoof of Fear Factor. Have you ever seen that on Chappelle's show? No. Oh, God. So he, so he got Joe Rogan and they did a Fear Factor where they took one of Dave Chappelle's characters and put him on Fear Factor, and he easily won. I will encourage you to go find that. Just okay. Chappelle, just Google YouTube. Go to YouTube, search Chappelle's show, Fear Factor, guarantee okay. laugh. Next uh, one, I never me. was huge on it. I did watch it from time to time. Yeah, the gross style stuff's never been like Fear Factor. Kind of falls. It's a better show than like a Jackass. But it kind of falls into that category for me. It's just that stuff I watch. Yeah. Okay. Next one for me, it's going to be the first game show to come off the board. Um, this was one of those rare game shows that actually came on prime time. And I'm not going with the daytime version of this. There was only one rightful version of this. And that was the primetime version with Regis Philbin hosting Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? That was awesome. Regis, I think, is arguably the greatest TV host of all time. Um, I love Regis, everything about him. He was perfect for Millionaire. He made it exciting. Um, everything about it, like it, you were on your feet. You were you were on your toes cheering for these people to win a million dollars and the yeah. phone a friend. I mean, that stuff became part of pop culture, you know. I mean, uh the everything about it. Uh, who wants to be a millionaire with Regis? The primetime version for me was, was it, Bo. And uh, the people this day and age, they'll never understand. Yeah, I watched Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I watched that. I, I really got into that. It was, it kind of had a big game feel to it. Yes. Especially as you got later on, when you got to like the quarter million dollar level or the, the even the hundred thousand dollar level, you're like, oh, wow. And then when the dude won the million dollars. Yes. And he called his father as the phone a friend, and he knew the answer already. And he called his dad to tell him that he uh, he was going to win the million dollars. I thought that was kind of cool. Oh yeah, I knew that answer too. So I was like, oh, I know that answer. And yeah, when he phoned a friend, I was like, how did he not know that? And then he does that thing. It was kind of cool. All right, Bo, back to back. All right, um, God, you know. I'm trying to think of shows I, I used to watch and not shows that I currently watch. Um, and Who Wants to Be Millionaire is a good, a good pick. Um, 
man. A show I used to watch when I was a kid, and I've gone back and watched it a little bit now as I've gotten older, and it's it's the, the 80s when it was made. But remember Magnum P.I., Tom Selleck? That was before my time, but yes, I know. Yeah. Yes. I was a big, we, we liked Magnum P.I. That was when I used to watch my pops. So it kind of has that piece to it as well. And it was, it was, uh, they were in Hawaii and you had the, you know, he drove the, uh, the Ferrari and this and that. So, uh, Magnum PI is one that I miss. Bo, but they did a I'm, remake of it and it was okay. Maybe I'm giving you an idea here, but one show I haven't watched that I feel like is assigned viewing. I need to now that I live here. I think I need to see Dallas. Dallas was a good one. It's one of those ones that, yeah, it, um, Dallas was a soap opera, and yeah. it's like you you get to where you have to watch it. And you have to know who the characters are, but yeah, we, that was another big one. And uh, yeah, that was uh, there was two or three of those. Dallas was one. Miami another one, Vice. Miami Vice, was another one of those kind of things. That's the eighties. Um, I used to love Dallas as well. Doubt might because like you could tell somebody who was like a a teenager or older that watched that show. You could ask him one question. You were a man. You like Bobby or Jr. The scumbag. But my younger brother was Team Bobby. He was the good guy. You have the two brothers, and one of them is like they'll do anything, make money, cheat on his wife, all this other stuff, all the scandals. And you had the good guy. Yeah, Dallas. Yeah, if you've never watched Dallas, you definitely should check it out. But you can't watch just one episode because it doesn't. It's it's episodic where you have to see it in a row. Who shot Jr.? He was shot twice. <laughs> Sue Ellen shot him once, and I don't remember who the second one was. Yeah, yeah. Sue Ellen the first time. All right, uh, that no, was like the biggest thing too ever. Right, and then no one really knows what happened to Jr. in the last episode of. Of, uh, of Dallas. It's tease that he kills himself. Hmm. Uh, another pick for you, Bo. Okay. The other one, this is... I showed this to my son three or four years ago. And he loved it. The Jeffersons. Oh, Have you I ever love seen the Jeffersons. the Jeffersons? Yes, yes. The Jeffersons is hysterical. So It's great. And I, I grew up on the Jeffersons. Up today. I grew up on the Jeffersons. And I went to kindergarten with a kid with the last name Jefferson. <laughs> and he was uh, he was black. I only say that just for, for context because it'll make right, sense. Sure, um, yeah. But I, I, I remember I came home from school one day and I told my mom, like, hey, I got a new friend. His name's Jefferson, like the Je and he's and he reminds me he's just like the Jeffersons. <laughs> yeah, the Jeffersons was one that uh, we watched and I, as a kid. I watched, and then when I went back and watched it later, it holds up. It's hysterical, and it yes. was you know from the seventies, and it even now in twenty twenty two, you can go back and watch the Jeffersons. That shit is still fun. Oh yeah, Jeffersons is. Uh... Is a classic, and, and that theme song was one of the best of all time. Oh yeah, pistol fry in the kitchen. Yeah, I'm not going to the old song, but yeah, 
Oh yeah. Oh man, that's that's that, that was back in the day. Oh yeah, and uh, the other day, uh, Bo, I, I moved into a new place here in Dallas, and I yeah. posted a video of my new place, and I put it to the Jefferson's theme. Moving on up. Moving on up. Moving on up. Uh-huh. I'm with you. I yeah, Jefferson's is definitely on my list. Oh yeah. And it was a spinoff of All in the Family, which was also another good show. My father's favorite show. Was was your father uh Archie Bunker? He loved the character Archie Bunker, which I did too. And it, that was played by Carol O'Connor. So O'Connor O'Connor. But us being more liberal than Archie Bunker. What we did like about Archie Bunker, oh my dad like was just how he would say things. Like the way he would smart ass somebody. You know, like he had the daughter who was would say, you know, every year so many people die because of smoking. He would say, Would you feel better if you were pushed out of windows? You know, <laughs> you know, things like that. And so yeah, didn't always approve of Archie's stances on things like, you know, uh race relations and whatnot. But and then as they got older and got through the show, you saw less and less of how racist Archie Bunker was. But yeah, the Jefferson is a spinoff of Archie Bunker, which was a great show. So I can pretty much bet you're not going to be uh, picking The Apprentice here today, are you? I am not picking The Apprentice. <laughs> I will admit that I watched, um, I watched The Celebrity Apprentice maybe for a season or two. Like, I wouldn't see it every week, but I it wasn't appointment watching. But I did watch those. Yeah. Yeah, before he did all the stuff he's done. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, next on the uh, list for me, my next two. Um, I am uh, going to go with my uh, my first sitcom off the board of shows I, I used to watch. And uh, for me... I'm going to go with Everybody Loves Raymond. Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, I, I My mom and dad watched that all the time. Uh, I watched all the reruns over and over again. Um, you know, that that whole cast was, was just perfect. Um, you know, a, a, everything about that show, Everybody Loves Raymond was just, was just great. I mean, Frank reminded me of my own grandpa um you know and, and deborah reminded me of my mom and you know like there, there was just certain things that are, are related so well with that show even as a kid growing up uh, everybody loves raymond was phenomenal Bo. yeah yeah I, I liked it i never got like fully on into it i could still watch like an episode here and an episode there kind of like the king of queens yes both of those are kind of the, they're kind of the same very show. similar shows yeah um but they're both really good and yeah all right so uh, everybody loves Raymond uh, off the board for me. Um, shows we uh, we used to watch uh, need a uh, another pick here. Um, I'm uh, I'm thinking hard on this one. This kind of getting now now we're starting to get interesting uh, with all all the sorts of shows to pick from. I'm uh, I'm gonna dive into the HBO archive now, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna reach for the uh, the newsroom is my next pick. Really good show, really underrated show. Too. Um, it's my second favorite HBO show of all time. Uh, I'm not going with Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones wasn't in my top echelon like it was for some people. Um, but 
I'm going with the newsroom. My favorite HBO show of all time is actually on right now, Succession, um, which is just great, great TV. Um, but the newsroom, uh, I feel like I learned a lot about the industry uh, in college by watching that show. And it, it, it may have been the quickest I've ever gone through a series. And I think I watched it a couple of times. The newsroom was great. The newsroom was a really, really great show. It was not on nearly long enough. No. Uh, it should have and been on for much, much longer. Olivia Munn uh, stole my heart in that show. You know, and yeah. she stole mine, too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't do a whole lot of the celebrity crushes, but Olivia Munn is definitely on the short list. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, you messed up on that one there. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, brother, brother. I don't know what she was thinking, bro. I just, right. yeah. you got All right, Bo, back stuff. to you. All right. Uh, I'm taking a cartoon. Okay. The Flintstones. Flintstones. Okay. I loved the Flintstones when I was a kid. And um, I, I will tell you that one of my nicknames in high school was Barney Rubble. <laughs> because I'm not a tall, tall man. I am a short man and stocky. I looked like Barney Rubble. One year, I actually did dye my hair for Halloween and put on a brown shirt and look like Barney Rubble. Okay. Uh, but I loved the Flintstones, Fred and Barney. I love how Fred always got Barney in trouble. It was the thing I watched as a kid. I don't get to see it at all now, but if I could watch it now if I really wanted to. But uh, yeah, the Flintstones would be one for me. So the my favorite my favorite cartoon as a kid. Okay. Uh, another another pick for you here. Uh from there, this one, going between two here, I'm hoping I'll get them both. But um, one show I used to watch, and it was basically, it was one of the reruns I was a, when I was a teen, was MASH. Oh, yes. And I loved that show. I, I can still watch MASH to this day. Still I the uh, highest rated se season finale of all time. Yeah, I think it's the highest. I think the season, the, the series finale of MASH is still the highest rated show of all time. Yes. Like it's like Super Bowl numbers. Seinfeld's was like Super Bowl numbers as well. But it when you figure on MASH, you only had a few channels at the time as well. It was huge. And to yeah. this day, I remember that. Yeah, it's that would be my other one. All right. MASH is a, a good pick there. All right. Boa for me. This is my favorite cartoon of all time it is an adult cartoon um i would love to see this brought back um king of the hill for me was it i, I king loved the king of the hill i sell propane propane accessories, propane accessories. dang it, uh, Bobby. Damn it Bobby. <laughs> so you might if you've ever spent any time with me hear me go damn it peyton i got my damn it peyton from hank hill <laughs> i loved King of the Hill. I still find myself quoting King of the Hill just casually. Yeah, I actually watched an episode a couple weeks ago, actually. It was like on something, and I was like, oh, King of the Hill's on. I turned it on. Like, um, I was just talking to my mom the other day, something about she was having lunch at Taco Bueno, and I said, oh, they got Taco Bueno in the high school. In the high school. Peggy <laughs> <laughs> Hill's Frito Chili Pie. <laughs> <laughs> Ten times substitute teacher of the year, Peggy Hill. Teacher of the year, Peggy Hill. <laughs> I, I I think that my favorite. So we used to. This is God. This is 
25 plus years ago now, 20 years ago at least, I used to be a manager at a restaurant and I was a restaurant bar and me and one of the other managers, we would, everybody be gone. Everything's done for the night. We both had to get drives home. So we would, you might sit around and have a beer or two. And if we got everybody out on there on time, we could watch King of the Hill on one of the TVs. We put King of the Hill up. Appointment viewing. I love it. Yeah. So we would do it like, it was like midnight. You'd watch King of the Hill. And so we'd put King of the Hill on. And my favorite episode was the one where Bobby went to self-defense class. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you remember what I'm talking I about? Remember he, this. Went yeah. self, he went to women's self-defense <laughs> class. Yeah. So in the thing he learned was to kick someone kick him in the balls. Yeah. So <laughs> one day, you know, they got the four guys are hanging out, and and you know, it's Hank and Boomhauer and Adele and uh Bill, and mm-hmm. Hank's telling the story. Bobby comes over and he kicks Hank and he t- Hank's telling the story Bobby kicked him in the nuts and, and Bill says I wish I had a son to kick me in the nuts <laughs> I don't know why to this day I think it's one of the funniest things ever because you know it's always woe is him with that guy Yeah, I wish I had a son to kick me in the balls <laughs> King of the Hill's a good pick Tyler King of the Hill. Oh, I love King of the Hill so much. Um, and I say that's a show I used to watch. Like, I, I I should go back and watch King of the Hill more often, actually. Um, because those episodes have aged well over the years. King of the Hill, uh, very uh, good pick. Um, my next pick I'm gonna go with um <laughs> this one for me, I I I'll, I'll say this much that it was another one my par- I watched with my parents a lot, but I grew to appreciate it later as I got older. Um, I think it was ahead of its time in the sense of that it it aged well, it knew how to build throughout the seasons, um, and it was better than its predecessor. I'm going Frazier. I thought Frazier was better than Cheers personally. Bo, is that a hot take? No, there was a segment of people that did like Frasier more than Cheers. I'm team Cheers all the way. I love Cheers. One of my favorite shows. Um, doesn't hold up. Cheers does not hold up as well as Frasier does. Yeah. Now, the characters individually do. Mm-hmm. Like Norman and the um, Norman Cliff and a few others. Those do hold up. The yeah. reason that Cheers doesn't hold up as well is because all the sex stuff is with the Ted Dance's character. Yes. That's why it doesn't hold up as well. But Frazier does. Yeah, but yeah, Frazier's a good show. All right, Bo, your final uh, two picks here. Okay. Uh, Cheers is another one I was thinking about. And and again, it just to me, it just didn't quite hold up. But I had to have a game show as well. You had a game show, but I'm picking the game show. The Price is Right. See, I still watch it from time to time. Yeah, I can't. I'm not home during the day. Um, is, but, that, is that eliminated because it's still on? No, no, no. It, you don't watch it anymore, so it qualifies. Um, now, I'm talking about Bob me, Barker, The Price is Right. The Bob Barker version. Like, yeah. Drew Carey ain't it. You know, Bob Barker is that guy. Drew Carey's fine for me, but Bob Barker is The Price is Right. And, I, you know, he'd tell you, Drew Carey was in the same thing. I mean, the price is wrong, bitch. 
<laughs> yeah. I like how it was like a little school, like they had the golf game and Bob Barker had that big long ass mic and he'd either hold it or he'd hand it to the lady and make his little putt. He always made it. Dude never missed. Um yeah, price is right was best one price is right uh, price is right game uh for me is Plinko. Yeah, it's hard to argue it's Plinko. Yeah, I agree on that. I love oh, no, the okay, showdown I like, too. I can't remember the name of it now, but the one where the little the dude goes up and he's like the the yodeler. Yes. And he falls off the edge. That's my favorite. <laughs> can't think of the name of it now, but that was my that was my favorite. Because I'm a hater on some things like that. So that was that was I think one we've year. talked oh, about this in the past that you are pretty good when it comes to knowing prices like we need to get you on the prices ride and you'll win the showcase show now. I, I don't know that I would be now. No, I think back in the day maybe, but not now. I I have no good clue about anything now. I, that's why I just live on Amazon now. <laughs> yeah. Do I have one more here? Yeah, one more. Last one. This is the funniest show of all time. The Chappelle Show. Okay. It's far and away. I mean, there's nothing even close to the Chappelle show. Yeah. And it was only, you know, you had really two and a half seasons of it, but every episode had something that you would see it and you would go like, like go to work the next day and talk about it at work. I mean, to this day, I'm Rick James, bitch. It's still a thing. I mean, you, you can quote that show it's quotable and it only has two and a half seasons, but it was huge when it came out. And again, I think it's the single funniest TV show of all time. Yeah. That's did did you watch Chappelle's show? Um, I've watched some of it. I haven't watched it from start to finish, but I need to. Just you can grab just random episodes. They don't go into each other. Right. But there's some of the stuff like if you you could sit here and say you could do a draft on skits from Chappelle show. Yeah. With three or with you, me, and Tom, go six deep and I still think my not favorite, get them all. My favorite was the race draft. The racial draft is one of my favorites as well. Um I think anything with Tyrone Biggums was great. Uh racial draft is great. Ah God. Yeah. The one where he's working for the printer company and says, why? Because F them, that's why. Them, that's why. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be like Kinko's. That's on the very first episode of, of Chappelle's show. Um, I'm trying to think. Any of the, the Charlie Murphy stuff is great. And then I do think my favorite, now that I think about it, was the mad, mad real world. Yes. Have you seen that? Yes. That's probably my favorite. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the uh, the final pick of the uh, the draft here. Um, man, to end this one. So, what what I haven't gotten to, you know, when it, when it comes to we've reached, uh, you know, everything from game shows to comedies to dramas to reality TV. Um, We haven't hit on any 
sports shows of any sorts. And, you know, there's all sorts of sports shows to to choose from that have been here uh, over the years. And the, the one sports show, and this show actually has been drafted before, um, but I'll bring it back for this one that is not in the on the air in its previous format anyway. Um, NFL primetime for me gets uh, gets on the board. The the version with with uh, Chris Berman and TJ on Sunday nights uh, back before that there was Sunday ticket and everything. We've talked about it before in this show. Oh, yeah. Was appointment viewing, and there has never been anything like it. There never will be anything like it. It was unique uh, for its time. So yeah. that is uh, my final pick. So that's a good pick. Um, well, actually, wait, wait, wait. I, I have one more pick on it. I was like, I got you at seven picks. So I didn't know what five, you got here. six, seven. Oh, wait, wait. Let's count up here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. No, that was my last pick. That was eight. I missed something there. So. Give me your eight again. American Idol, Fear Factor, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Everybody Loves Raymond, The Newsroom, King okay. of the Hill, Frazier, uh, NFL Sunday Primetime. I forgot to write The Newsroom down as I was distracted by Olivia Vaughn. And your <laughs> very good adamant reason. Your team, The Sopranos, Seinfeld, Magnum P.I., The Jeffersons, The Flintstones, MASH, The Price is Right, and The Chappelle Show. Both two very good teams this week. Yeah, I don't. There's nothing. I mean, everybody's going to have their own flavor of vodka. You know what I mean? It's just it is what it is. You know, I, I never got into like I never have done the whole reality show thing. It's yeah. never been my thing. Um, you know, and then I'm proud of us for neither one drafting, keeping up with the Kardashians. No, I, I've never seen an episode of that. I'll keep that up till the day I die, most likely. So. Um, no, yeah. uh, no bachelor or bachelorette picked. No, I don't know that I've ever actually watched a full episode of either of those. My wife likes them, but uh, I leave her alone when she watches that. Yeah, we we kind of have a rule. You might figure this out one day. Is that I am one of those people who I will make fun of what you watch as you watch it. So I learned a long time ago not to do that to my wife, and the mm-hmm. way I don't do that is I leave the room. Okay. Because I'm going to ruin her experience. Like, I was watching The Bachelor with her one day, and I just was like, no, nah, this is this is horrible. Kind of did like a, um, you know, kind of like, in a, like being the announcer watching this and going, what the hell is going on here? You know, what was it? The Mystery Science 2000 kind of thing. Yeah. And just making fun of them. Yes, and that yeah. made her, it, it pissed her off once. And I was like, oh, I don't like that. So I, yeah. I just get away from her now. The uh, the undrafted free agents. Um, one show that comes to mind, you know, uh, you mentioned Floodstones is like an animated kid show. If I were going to pick a kid show uh, here, uh, I go back to my days as as a little boy uh, on Nickelodeon Double Dare two thousand. That Dare was, was a good. great show, and uh, my dad and I. We got to go to Silver Dollar City in Branson, and we were on the show in a live taping, and we won our game. And and and, and here's here's the show how it's long ago this was, uh, Bo. My dad and I we won our game, and we won a Zenith VCR. <laughs> Zenith, the last American TV company. <laughs> yes. Did you get slimed? 
No, I didn't get slimed. So no. it was the USB on Double Dare if you don't get slimed. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Double Dare was a, a very good one uh, for me. Uh, the nostalgia. Uh, was not going to pick SpongeBob SquarePants. I've seen way too much SpongeBob over the years. I love SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah. I know that sounds weird, <laughs> but it was my son's favorite show. When he was, I, when he was a little I can boy. see that for Peyton, yes. Peyton, when he was like little, little, he loved SpongeBob. So the one way I could get him like go to sleep, take a nap, was put SpongeBob on. And we would lay down together. You know, you, you, know, you got a two, three-year-old kid. You, you get on the couch, you snuggle, you watch SpongeBob, you fall asleep. It's great. Um, loved SpongeBob. I loved how SpongeBob snuck at least one joke for the parents of, to every episode. Yes. At least one. So, SpongeBob was great. Yeah. The other one, and I can't remember the name of it, but you wouldn't know about this because you're way too young. USA Network used to have the Cartoon Express in the afternoon. Okay. Where they had all the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And they had a race one where all the different Hanna-Barbera, like the B team of Hanna-Barbera cartoons would all race. Yeah. And I can't think of the name of it now. I guess I can look it up. There is Google. Um, um of our draft, uh, I think Wacky Races. Okay. The best value picks, I think, for you to get mashed as late as you did, considering mm-hmm. the ratings numbers it was. Yeah. And then for me to get King of the Hill and both of us having that appreciation for King yeah. of the Hill, those were the yeah. best value picks, I think, of this draft. Yeah. You know, I think of King of the Hill by comparison is The Simpsons. Yes. And I, I was it's a, the a, Texas a, version of The Simpsons. Yeah, and I was a big Simpsons guy when it first came out. I can still glance at it now and be like, oh, that's fun. But yeah. Um if my father were on with us, he uh he'd probably draft American Dead. <laughs> I've never watched that. Family Guy is a bit too absurd for me. I do like Family Guy once in a while. Right. Like, I, I couldn't watch it every day. And I don't know if same I can watch it like, every week, but once in a while. I could. Same with, like, South Park. I can watch about two different times a year. I can watch, like, five or six episodes in a row, and that's enough for me for six months. I hate South Park. <laughs> hate it. Hate it with a passion. I have seen one episode of, of of South Park that I thought was fun. One. It was the one where they made fun of college sports. Okay. Where Cartman was dressed like Colonel Sanders. Yeah. And he basically says the football players are his slaves. <laughs> the only funny episode of, of South Park. Yeah. I was stuck in Chicago with Peyton couple of months ago <laughs> one night we're in a hotel room we couldn't sleep he couldn't sleep i couldn't sleep he falls asleep watching south park this this was like i'd rather have my toenails removed than have to watch two hours of south park <clears throat> i rather walk into oncoming traffic <laughs> than, than watch more than one episode of south park I get it. Some people love it. It's just not my thing. Never got into it. My favorite episode was the Scientology episode with Tom Cruise. (laughs) 
I just never got into it. My best friend loves South Park. I just never got into it. Not for everybody. Yeah. I, I tried. I tried. Thank you. All right. Um, before we go, our uh, final segment this week, our uh, Tom Fullery story of the week. And uh, with Bo here, uh, filling the void for Tom this week, that could only mean one thing. It's time to go to the mailbag and get Bo's advice. And Bo does not know these emails ahead of time. He's going to find out with the rest of you, and we'll get his reaction in real time here on the Jones Sport this week. So let's go ahead and get started. Without further ado, our uh, first email this week comes from Christina. Christina writes in the subject line, my roommate owes me for cable and internet. Should I change the password? Hey guys, my name is Christina. I'm a huge fan of the show. I thought you guys could have a little fun with something that's going on with my roommate. And right now that's driving me crazy. So my roommate who I've been living with for six months hasn't paid me for the cable and internet. She keeps telling me when she gets some back pay from her job, she'll pay me. Meanwhile, she's watching cable and streaming, and it's all on me. My sister told me I should change the internet password and cancel the cable and just do streaming. That way, she'd have nothing. I didn't think it was a bad idea, but I know it will turn into a big fight. So do you guys think I should do it? I'm honestly starting to think that she's never going to pay me. Signed, Christina. Bo, your reaction? Okay, so I'm twofold on this one. One, how long did you lease for what I would do is wait till I know the lease is almost over, and then I would hit her with changing the password on the Wi-Fi. Um, if you're going to change the, the the password on the Wi-Fi, which is what I would do, yes, I would change the password, and I would say when finally get when she finally brings it up, say I changed the password to, you know, however much she owes you, or you know, blank owes Christina money, yeah, uh, something along those lines. And, and first, I would say, well, they had to come out and reset the whole area. We had to reset the password. I'm sorry. Got to tell you. And then we go, what is the new password? She's going to do it. Then you say, oh, it's, you know, Jane owes Christina $300. Mm-hmm. So that kind of thing. For the most part, though, I'm pretty easy going about stuff like that, especially if someone's in my home. You know, unless we've agreed to it, and it was a problem. I guess I've been more stringent when I was younger and you need that money to make the payments, I guess. I got a little older, a little less mean about it, I guess. But yeah, if you want to be a dick, do it by changing the Wi-Fi password. Do that first. Okay. We'll get the message. We'll get the message one way or the other. Um, next one in the inbox comes from Ariana. The subject line reads... Is it wrong to move orange cones my neighbor puts out to hold parking spots in front of their house? Good morning, everyone. My name is Ariana. I'm a longtime fan of the Jones Report. You guys have been my rock during this pandemic, and I can't thank you enough. Thank you, Ariana. Well, I'm emailing you because to make things worse with all that is going on, my new neighbors have decided to put out orange traffic cones in front of their house so no one can park there. We live in a very congested neighborhood, and sometimes you have to park in front of a neighbor's house, and it's never an issue. No one complains. I know I have the right to park in front of their house, but I'm wondering if it's worth the conflict. I feel like someone will eventually just move them 
and park there. But should I be the first? How would you guys handle this situation? Thanks for everything, Ariana. Bo, what do you think? I got this. this is how you got this. This is another one of those two coins, two sides of the coin. One, if you live in the suburbs, based on where you live, you live in the suburbs, live in a smaller town, that kind of thing. They're trying to send you a message with the orange cones saying, don't park in front of my house. That's what they're doing. Now, many times, go to major cities, Chicago, Kansas City, New York City, Boston. You park where you can park anywhere on the damn street. New Orleans, same way. If you see someone put orange cones in front of their house in the major city like that, take those orange cones and put them in a trash can somewhere. Go pick them up, put them in a car, and take them to a dumpster. Because that's a dick move. Depends on where you're at. So, I don't know where... Did she say where she was from? She did not. Okay. Again, if you're in a major city, you live in a downtown area, they put the cones out, that's a dick move. If you live in the suburbs, you live somewhere where parking's not really that big an issue, you just got more cars than a driveway can fit, they're telling you to quit parking in front of their So, figure it out yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, either way, I can see who's right and who's wrong based on the situation here. I will say, like, I live in Lawrence, Kansas. If you park in front of my house and it's more than just for the night, we're going to have a chat. But if I lived in downtown Chicago, I lived in you know, parts of Kansas City, where you kind of have to park on the street no matter where, that's a dick move for the owner. Yeah, um, the... The street parking, the street isn't owned by the person that owns the house. It's owned by the right. So, for me, I, I look at it, Bo, you know, if it's a short-term thing, you know, if it's you know, one or two nights, whatever, that's not the end of the world. That shouldn't be. But if it's going on for a period of time, then, yeah, that should be discussed. The cones, for me... That's where things get too far. It should never reach yeah. the point where you have to get cones out in, in that circumstance, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, I don't disagree with you there. I think that if you look at it and you go, well, you know, this kind of sucks. I mean, I think it's being shitty in certain places. And in, in, other, in certain others, you can figure out how to park in someone's area. You know, it's it depends. But right. yeah, I... I I would personally not do that. Someone parked in front of my home, and again, I kind of live in the suburbs. If you parked in front of my house and you were there for more than a couple of days, hey, knock on the door. Let me know you're visiting the neighbor. You know, usually like my neighbor would come over and say, hey, someone's staying for a week. Is it okay they put in front of your house? Sure. Right. You know, there's a nice way to do things. Yeah. But again, I've got friends that live in, you know, Chicago or New Orleans or, you know, downtown Boston. Hey, man, you get a spot wherever you get it. And if you got cones, I'll move your damn cones. I'll move your cones to the dumpster behind the pizzeria. I'll, I'll wet up one for you, Bo. Uh, just the other day, uh, <laughs> I uh, was turned into a parking spot, and uh, I went too wide. I just ran over the cone. I just took it with me. <laughs> I've taken a barrel once. Okay. I took a barrel once. You me tell this whole story? Sure. All right. I was drunk on St. Patrick's Day in Topeka, Kansas. Oh, God. I was driving. 
and drunk. And, and, and folks, full disclosure, I would never do this today. This is 20 plus years ago. I was young. I was stupid. It's a different time. My buddy, who I'm not going to say his name, but he's one of my running partners. And when he and I got together, it just seemed to happen. And we're at a stop sign or stoplight in a, in a part of Topeka where there's nobody around. And there's a construction site right next to us, like a city zone being constructed there. And I used to drive a, a Nissan Xterra back then. This was, again, 20 plus years ago. I opened the back of the Xterra. We get out. We grab a barrel that's just sitting there on the corner for no apparent reason and throw the barrel in the back of my truck. Close the back, get back in, we leave, go to the next bar. Now, I drove back to Lawrence the next morning. And I realized when I got home, I still had this orange barrel in my car. <laughs> I never got rid of it. Took it home. I put it in my garage in my old house. We had just moved in maybe a year before. I had that damn barrel for like nine years. When we sold that house, moved into the house we currently live in, my wife says, I don't care what you have to do. You have to get rid of that barrel. She made it clear that, that barrel was not coming back to the new house. Okay. Not that I wanted to keep it. I just didn't know how you get rid of an orange barrel. Right. I mean, do you take it to another construction site and leave it? You know, you look kind of conspicuous when you're driving down the road with an orange barrel in the back of a pickup truck. Sure. So, yeah, it an orange barrel, it had to be there because we were really hammered. It's one of those, you know, you do something when you're really hammered, it seems hilarious at the time. It was definitely one of those moments. So, yeah, you could run a cone over, but you didn't steal an orange bar. Last one in the inbox. Uh, this one comes from Alexandra. Alexandra wants to know. Uh, hey, guys, this is Alexandra. I'm 17 years old and will be a senior in high school this year. I'm a huge fan of the show, so I'm hoping you can give me a little advice. My best friend Dina broke up with her boyfriend she's had since eighth grade in April. Since then, she's kind of started sleeping around. And since we're close friends, guys assume that I'm doing the same or want to sleep around. I told her she needs to tone it down because I don't want either of us being labeled as a slut our senior year. She said she doesn't care what people think of her. And now we're in a little fight. How do I navigate the situation? I don't want to ruin her reputation, but I also don't want to be associated with her if she's acting like a slut. Side Alexandra. Uh, Bo, you were a uh, father of a, a child this age not too long ago. How would you handle the situation? Well, I have a, I have a son. So it's a little different, obviously. Um, but I'll, first of all, tell Alexandra, mind your own business. That's the first thing I would say. It's the thing I would tell my son if it, one of his friends was one of these people. Mind your own business. What they do is what they do. Stay out of their life. Uh, secondly, it doesn't matter. You're in high school. You're going to be 21 in a couple of years, 23, 20, you're going to grow into your 20s and you're going to realize that nothing that happened before the age of 18 makes any goddamn difference to anything about who you are later in life. It doesn't. So quit overthinking things. 
be a friend to your friend and mind your own business. Oh, and and one thing that I, I would say, Bo, you know, for me, that I, I did not realize when I was leaving high school is how much your life changes between high school and college of mm-hmm. not only just of moving on and going to somewhere else and all that, but just who your friends are. I mean, you're not yeah. seeing everybody that you grew up with every single day. Um, some people you went to high school with, you're literally never going to see your life in, in your life again. Yep. Um, it's like when you turn 18, you move out, even if you don't go to college or whatever. Um, no matter how high school went for you, that you're hitting a reset button. Your life pretty much starts over right there. It does. And, you know, it's funny, like people who hold on to what they to like stories about people from when they were in high school. Those are like the loneliest f-ing people ever. Like if you go, whoa, I know this guy in high school. He did this. Uh, you know, you're like the loneliest dude ever. Get a life. Um, you know, I, I always equate it to the thing I equated to, and, and I'm guilty of this, I married my high school sweetheart. We've been married, now we've been married for 23 years. We're not beautiful. But what I'll say is a person you are at 18 is a different person you're going to be at 21, who's different than who you are at 25 and 30 and 40 and on down. You're going to mature. You're going to mature differently than everybody else you know which isn't right or wrong, it's just different. And people, you you tend to hold on to relationships based upon where you are now. It doesn't mean that someone that you're friendly with when you were younger, like I have a couple of good high school friends that I'm still very good friends with. Uncle Rico, who comes on my show all the time, is a high school friend of mine. He was one of my best friends then, he still is. But I don't talk to him every week. I don't talk to him every day. I mean, not your not your actual uncle either. No, he's not my uncle. He's he's Peyton's uncle. That's the way we call it. So that's yeah. why he's uncle. He's Peyton's godfather. But the way we do things, like you know, um, you you've got friends. You've moved around quite a bit. You have friends here in Lawrence that you probably don't talk to, like you used to. Right. It's proximity sometimes. Sometimes you're just in different places in your life. Maybe I mean you're at a part in your career when right. someone your age could have could be married already or have a child. Different parts of life. I mean, for me, Bo, I, I think one of the big surprises as I've gotten older, you know, when you know I mentioned like the changeover from high school to college. Mm-hmm. Then from what I what I did not realize when I went from college to professional life was that there are some people now that we lived in the same place, you know, years ago, and I'm closer with them now when we live miles apart, you know, hundreds of miles away. Yeah. Um, The way life goes or connections here and there or just how things worked out or, you know, we we stayed in touch after I moved or they moved – and things just got closer afterwards. I mean, that's the way it goes sometimes. And that's that's not right or wrong or anything like that. I mean, uh, just the, the way that we grow, you know, uh, as people. I mean, it's all about, I, I, I put it this way, that you go through seasons of life. Um, there's certain people in your life that are there 
for a season or for certain seasons you're going through. You know, uh, uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. To me, that was probably my big surprise was was how many people I know that I'm closer with now that I don't live close to them compared to when I did before. And we were right down the road, didn't hardly talk that often. Yeah, I, I, I've had that same thing happen. And you just see that as part of life. Maybe you have a share, a new shared experience that proximity wasn't at that time enough. Or, you know, maybe at the time you knew each other, but you weren't as close. Yeah, I, I see that too. Um, yeah, I, absolutely. I see stuff like that happen. Um, it, it's strange, especially as you move around. I know you've moved around a little bit over the years. Yeah, I've got friends that same kind of thing have happened where it's like, Okay, we weren't tight then, but we are now. Right. Or maybe we aren't now, but we were for a few years, even though we weren't really at the other time. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bo, very fascinating discussion. This week, uh, the Tom Fulry, uh very insightful for the people. Uh, I think everybody got smarter today listening to that segment. Uh, I hope so. Bo, appreciate you sticking around a little longer this week. We'll uh, hear from you next week on the Football Fix. Thomas Bridges will be back with us next week as well. And uh, I believe next week, our draft segment, we're going to draft super conferences. Uh, yeah. I'm very excited about this draft next week. Yeah. Uh, Are we keeping the same order? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I didn't want to be first overall. Okay. Maybe we can reshuffle it or something. So. I, you know, I. I was actually thinking about when you said to me today. I was thinking about that. I was like, God, I, I, I don't know. That there's a clear number one. I think there is, but I won't say. I, I won't reveal my cards yet. I, I think I know who I would take number one. I think it would surprise you. Okay. Talk about it. Well, uh, we'll get to that next week. As always, subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every Thursday. Apple, Spotify. Google Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, or don't leave us one at all. Follow us on social media, facebook.com slash Jones Live, facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, Twitter at Studio underscore Soapbox, Instagram, Jones underscore Report, Tyler Jones Live. You can find us there. And a big thanks for, to uh, Dan Luss for joining us. Uh, check out all his great work covering this Deshaun Watson situation and and uh, we'll see you right back here next week. Good to be back after a couple weeks off. You know we're going to hammer it uh, here on the Jones Board as we catch down the start of football season less than a month away from meaningful games. We'll have it all for you here on the Jones Board. For Coach Bo, Dan Lost, our entire crew of Tyler Jones, thanks so long. We've been another edition of Jones Board. We'll see you next week. <laughs>